to Battle Red Radio. This afternoon, I'm joined by Diehard Chris to talk about the Texans blowing a 22-9 to their old familiar foe, the New England Patriots. How are you doing right now, Chris? I'm doing great. I'm glad you immediately asked me what I thought of Kaimi Fairbairn, and I still think he sucks. <laughs> yeah, the fourth highest paid kicker who uh, eats too much tofu and has a high <laughs> estrogen level and can't make a kick over 50 yards. I mean, when 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 you make me miss Randy Bullock, it's a problem. Yeah, I we were we were talking about Randy Bullock on the podcast last week because it's like the one thing all Texans fans can agree on is that we don't like Randy Bullock. And I didn't know I didn't actually pull up his like measurements at all. Yeah, he's always just been the fat kicker, but he's five ten, two ten according to Pro Football Reference. Yeah, well, for me, it's it's also a special bond because he went to the same high school I went to. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, and also, you know, fat. Yeah, <laughs> and he was drafted, I believe, too. They used the draft pick on him. Yes, yes, that was that was uh, one of the more surreal moments in uh, Texans draft history to me when they when they spin a draft pick on a kicker because you know as I've said so many times before, there's two kinds of kickers in the world: guys who can make pressure kicks and everybody else. And there's only two or three like really really good kickers in the league. I think at one time every year. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have no statistics to back that up. It is purely an, an observational thing, but uh, but yeah, uh, Fairbairn ain't it, and I just could not believe when they gave him that contract, and he continues to prove, you know, the majority of us right who were shocked by that contract and just shook our heads at it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get deep into that later. Yeah, yeah, kickers are, are like women, you know, you can't live with them, can't live without them. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and also, yes. if, I, if I if you're listening, you loyal listener listening to this, if I talk kind of poorly. I'm very sorry. I'm very hungover today after after going to a wedding yesterday. And like at one point, whenever the Texans were up 22-9, I mean, I, I still kind of feel like even after the game, even got crazier after they have 22-9, but I feel like it was the most boring hallucination anybody's ever experienced, you know, watching this game. But it ended up being more fun than I thought I even thought it was going to be after watching all the New England video going up to the game, and they've just been very boring. And as we've seen, the Texans with Davis Mills, but somehow both these two... Uh, species of the same polarity combined to be able to create this very bizarre and very fun you know, football game. Yes, if they're going to lose, which they're going to, make it entertaining, and I think we can all agree that's the best way to go. So, I yeah, mean, yeah. they did some they did some tremendously entertaining things today that weren't necessarily in the best interest of the Texans, but damn, it was entertaining. Yeah, it's like we all have to die eventually one day, but you don't want to die like fall, fall, you know, in your sleep. That's boring. You want to die because you dropped a chainsaw on your neck, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's right. what we want to see from the Texans. We don't want to see, you know, David Coley just uh, being. As, we want to see him being as, as, asphyxiated. We don't want to, you know, see him just pass peacefully, you know, in the middle. Yes, of the night. I, I want to jump out of the sunroof of my car while doing eighty miles an hour. That's how I want to go there out. There we I go. Wanna, yeah, I mean, just this game was just so ridiculous and. And yet somehow, like, again, you know, I'm, I'm I, my skin is so thick from being a Texans and Oilers fan over the years. Like at no point, at no point in this game did I feel like, oh, they're going to go on to win this. What I thought would probably happen was in the second half, 
the uh, Texans would fail to make adjustments. The Patriots would make some adjustments. The Texans would start playing poorly on offense. The, te- the Patriots would start playing better on defense. And that's exactly what happened, and they mm-hmm. lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what kind of spurned the whole bizarre thing, too, was the Texans are up 22-9. And then, like, this was, like, the all-time dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I've, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen, too. I'm still laughing about it. Like, I wish you could see my face because I just have the, the biggest smile uh, ever. I'm like the Joker right now. Whatever. Because <laughs> what the Texans did was rather than just punt the ball because that's too boring and we're free thinkers and we're innovators here in Houston uh, and we wear sweater vests, bright blue sweater vests, you know, <laughs> and we, we don't eat barbecue and everything else. We can't just punt the ball. Instead, we have to fake into a fake punt formation, put Cameron Johnson the pistol and then fake the fake punt by actually punting the punt and then yes. having your line get bull rushed backwards and blocking your own punt by kicking off of your teammates back. I've never seen that before. Yes. Like, I've never seen that pre-stat motion before in a, for a punt. And it's not like the gunners were like uncovered or something. So you had an easy reception or something like that. And then I've never seen somebody punt the ball at their own guys back like that. Like as blatant as it was, you know? Yeah. I mean, we have always, we've screened for more innovation from this team, mostly from the offense, but just overall, <laughs> man, we got some today, and that that should tell you, um, innovation for the sake of innovation, maybe maybe not always uh, the best thing. Because uh, the only the only more dumb play I can think of off the top of my head was that was that man. I'm trying to I'm struggling to remember what it was. The Colt that Colts punt on national TV several years back. Where man, I'm, do you remember what I'm talking about? They like lined up and they tried to. I think they tried to get the other team to go off sides and end up snapping it by accident. And the guy got tackled behind the oh, line. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, like, that was the Patriots game, right? I, I think so. Yeah, Patriots yeah. and Colts, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, yeah it, was. it was just it was just like to, I, I immediately thought of that play. Just like but but there was at least some unintentionality. Unintentional. That's not even a That's word. A word. There, it works. For us. OK, let's go with that. We're, I'm that hung play. over. Like, Anything's a word today. There you go. So we'll just make up words the whole, the whole time. That's fine with me. So there, there was at least some unintentional comedy on that one. And this one. They planned everything up until the point where he kicked the ball into the back of, uh, I think it was Terrence <laughs> Mitchell's head. So that was just, that was, oh man, I think I just saw Saquon Barkley get carted off the field uh, in Dallas. Mm. Good Lord. Anyway, non sequitur. So, yeah, um, there, brand, brand New has a song called The Boy Who Blocked His Own Shot. And uh, that's exactly what the Texans did on this punt. And like after that happened, New England got a short field um, that they scored on after that. And then they were able to get a field goal, get a field goal again later. And then they were able to get another short field thanks to David Coley's other mistake. And so, like, we kind of talked about David Coley and his, like, why he's here and, like, his whole purpose to the Houston Texans. And, like, really, I think, like, he was hired just because the the culture in Houston, you know, everybody hated each other last year. A lot of, like, the feelings were tarnished and all that. And so I think David Coley was here just to, like, try to make people want to play football again after like how uh, tiresome I guess it was for these millionaires to play football you know the year before mm-hmm. and he's not really here to win games though he doesn't call plays he doesn't really draw stuff up at all um, he's here to just kind of like, manage things and keep morale high but you know whenever you're the head coach in a football game you have to do things like decide when to go forward on fourth down and how to manage the clock and today was really like a spectacular you know failure and how to manage the clock he burned multiple timeouts pondering fourth down decisions and the one that really hurt him was that he pondered a 56-yard field goal, called a timeout, 
came back out there to kick the 56-yard field goal. The kicker can't make anything plus 50 yards. Missed it, gave New England a short field. They proceeded just to run the ball up the middle and hit a toss play um, you know, for five plays or whatever. And then Hunter Henry caught a corner route on the seventh play of the drive for a touchdown and then made a three-point game. And after that, like you know, New England was in business. And that drive was also, and they also had the other drive too that was aided by you know that third and eighteen uh, pass interference or roughing the passer penalty too. And so without that timeout though, they burn. Davis Mills gets the ball back with eighteen seconds to try to manage a, a game-winning drive or a game-tying drive in this case, and he really had no shot to be able to do so, kind of effectively yeah. and in the game as well too. So I I I, I thought it was completely ridiculous, and it was as ridiculous as the decision in Cleveland to not accept the penalty and go for him fourth and two, or just even try to get a third and 10 and punt instead. And we've seen like miscues like this from David Coley. And like the only good thing about it is that we all know the wins and losses really don't matter at all for this team this year and maybe even for next year. But uh, if it did, it'd be a lot different story. For sure. And I mean, you hire a guy who has never been a coordinator, even much less a head coach. And I mean, you know, how anyone can be surprised by this, I have no idea. I, 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 I guess my, my, my expectation with Cully, though, is that he would at least be better than Bill O'Brien with these decisions because Cully, admittedly, is not really running either side. He's, you know, Tim Kelly's running the offense and, uh, um, and Levy, Levy Smith is running the defense. So he is that true sort of uh, game manager head coach, which you would think would lend itself to making better decisions in game. And that has not been the case at all. So I, I, you know, I don't know what the problem is there other than probably just, it's, it's weird to say inexperience for a guy, uh, his age, who's been in, who's been in the game so long, but I mean, he's just made some really terrible decisions, which shouldn't really surprise anyone. I mean, this is what happens when you, when you basically hire a, a, you know, someone to oversee things for a couple of years, which is pretty much the, the, the given thought with everyone right now about, what Coley's true true role is, and you know, I, I want to say too, on that, on the fake fake, or I'm sorry, not the fake fake punt. We'll get to that later. On the on the missed field goal, you know, Kaimi had already missed two extra points, which obviously we have every right to scream at Kaimi about a, a missed 56 yard field goal. Like it's 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 kind of hard because I, I obviously I have an inherent bias. If you're a longtime listener of the show, I really do not like kickers, and I don't even like them in the game, but you know, guys are going to miss 56 yards field, yard field goals. Field goals. However, he is what like the third or fourth highest paid kicker in the league, and mm-hmm. you do also want to give a kicker a chance to redeem himself and get his confidence back back up after missing two field goals. But at the same time, like I I, I liked a lot of the, the the fourth down decisions that Coley made. That was that was a pleasant mm-hmm. surprise early in the game. But the the aggressive nature of going for that field goal, I, I thought at the time was the wrong call. And even if Kaimi had made the field goal, I would have said, I, I felt like that was the wrong call to make. Hey, it's great. It's great that he made it. But I would have punted in that situation. I would have said it whether he made it or not. But he missed it, and we saw what happened afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And it's always like, it's about the process, not necessarily the results sometimes. And, you know, there's always, there's always some outcome out there that this thing could occur. But it's like over the course of, you know, 100 events, if he's kicking that kick, he may make, you know, five of them or whatever. Maybe this is the one out of the five times that he actually makes it. But, yeah, I agree. I liked his fourth down decisions a lot, too, early in the first half. You know, Houston has to be aggressive. They have to maximize all the points they can get on every drive. Like, every team does, but it's even more so for Houston with an offense that, you know, struggles and they stall out often. 
that you know you have to be able to get points every single time you get the chance to. And like in that case, there, like especially with the lead, you, know, you don't want to give up field position if you don't want to try to go for it on you know fourth down, whatever it was at the time. Then you're that's a situation where just punting's better. You know, whenever you whenever you have a lead like that, you don't want to give. Um, New England short field position and like the chance that Kaim is going to make the field goal fully healthy you have to come back from a groin injury um, is low and it's even lower than that after the fact too and I, I think like the other thing about this game and you know is my biggest takeaway is that we know that there's so many things that have to go right for Houston win a football game and it was true like even with Tyrod Taylor like when you look at that Jacksonville game it was you know win the turnover battle get an early lead you know, make Jackson one-dimensional um and and everything and then have like Brand Cook sleep over two defenders and everything else that came along mm-hmm. with that one. And this game, everything went Houston's way in the first half. You know, New England sa- safeties missed tackles. And you have some easy yards after the catch for Davis Mills. And those like made a great throw and a double coverage on that one. Uh, or like with the safety coming over the back, but like after that, he'd had no control over it. And that was really just New England's defenders just being dumb. Uh, mm-hmm. They had the fumble into the end zone by Damian Harris. They had the interception by Lonnie Johnson Jr. where the ball was you know, thrown pretty much directly at him on a, on, a, on a hook route where, you know, Mac Jones put the ball too far inside and, uh, and Johnson was able to pick that off. And, like, every, everything went, like, they caught a flea flicker touchdown too. And, like, all the gimmicks, everything went their way. And then the second half, they kind of, like, pissed away all that good fortune by the decisions that they made. And like you mentioned earlier in the show, with the, the – tendencies that New England kind of broke in the first half and the adjustments that they made in the second half, you know, that mm-hmm. that kind of led to the big point swing as well too. But yeah, like they need a lot of things to go right and they had them go right, but they kind of blew it all away in the second half since that fake fake punt. Yes, they did. And I just you know, the the decision making by Coley in the second half with with a lot I mean I just just the overall strategy in the second half like like I like I said earlier it just it, it feels like sometimes the ghost of Bill O'Brien is still in the building because Ooh. I saw that's right I mean it's the time of year right and uh, because where were the second half adjustments I mean notoriously Bill O'Brien teams barely made them and I just I, it just seemed like it happened again this this weekend and it you know you're going against the Patriots and they don't have Tom Brady anymore and they're not very good this year, and four of their five stars on the offensive line are out. But you still have uh, maybe the best – I don't know if they're the best coaching staff or not, but certainly one of the most revered head coaches of all time. And, you know, that's why that guy never looks worried. One, because he's a dick. And second, because he just <laughs> – you know, he, he is going to go and make second-half adjustments. He's been through this stuff a million times, especially against, you know, a, a rookie quarterback and – a defense that is uh, questionable at best right now with no pass rush. So, you know, you saw, you saw in the second half, uh, Mac Jones starting to hit those uh, over the, over the middle throws where we know the Texans are going to be soft this year. They're going to be soft in the middle there over the middle. And I I don't know why they weren't taking advantage of that in the first half. And you can do that all day long against the Texans. And they certainly succeeded in the second half. So, you know, nothing as, as many wild and ridiculous things that happened in this game, like the overall, like I guess, for lack of a better term, story arc of the game did not surprise me one bit. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. There, there's just so many things that you have to go wrong for, for like teams to lose to Houston. And this is a good example of that. And I, I think she like mentioned the coaching staff's important because you know I don't I don't like I don't really like we talked about with Coley like you know he's not really here to be that that great like mind or whatever. And I think he's here more for morale. 
but like they have like better individual coaches and I don't really, I didn't really like the Levy Smith hiring. I thought it was ridiculous at the time. I think a lot of that was glossed over, but the talent yeah. isn't there at all for him. And I, I thought the Tim Kelly thing was funny because it was like a half hour attempt to appease the Sean Watson and he didn't do, I thought a very good job all last year, but he's been you know, really actually pretty great, you know, for Houston has been one of the bright spots of this season too. Yeah, I agree. Um, the first question we had here was from at smooth Grandmall, and he asked, which of the three most important principles in football did the Texans fail at today? Faith, family, or football in the Holy Trinity of football? <laughs> I mean, clearly they failed it at football today. I mean, more than anything. Oh, they also failed at faith because they were playing football instead of going to church. So I guess that's yeah, two out of three. Yeah, it's important. I can't, I can't really comment on the on the family aspect other than the fact that, you know, I guess I guess right now uh, one of the members of the family, Charles Amini, who is causing problems because he was a healthy scratch. I, I don't know. I mean, it appears to be with the Texans that if you uh, you disagree – uh, instead of you know having some conflict resolution in a business that is full of people with huge egos, uh, huge salaries, where there's going to be guys who don't like each other all the time, there's going to be players who don't like what's going on all the time. Instead of actually getting down to business and trying to fix the thing, oh, let's just uh, let's just sit him out and take one of our few guys who might even you know Amino hasn't been great this year, but mm-hmm. I mean when you have four of the five starters on the New England offensive line out. Why would you make him inactive if, he, if he's healthy? Like I just, I'm sure there's more of that story that we're gonna find out uh, as the week goes on. You know, maybe, maybe not. But I, I just, I just feel like every time something goes wrong with a player, if there's a conflict, which I don't know, what, I don't know if there is a conflict, but when a guy's a healthy scratch and he was a starter beforehand, then obviously something is not right. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I just continually just am not happy with the way they they handle those things. So uh, I guess my long uh, roundabout answer to that is they failed at all three. Yeah, yeah, I agree too. I I think uh, the football thing is probably the biggest thing of of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, our next question is from at Confused Lefty, and he asked, "Would you rather have running? Would who would you rather have running the Texans? A Tad less a Ted Lasso Texan or a David Coley head coach of the Texans? Who would you rather have running the team? I mean, for entertainment value alone, of course you want Ted Lasso. But I mean, isn't that kind of what we have already? Isn't he just sort of a? I mean, I've only seen a couple episodes of the show, but I get the general gist. And uh, he's a real positive guy. But I think maybe in the context of that show, maybe Ted Lasso is actually maybe pretty good as a coach or was. I, I don't know. Like before he started coaching a, a, a English football team mm-hmm. versus American football. So maybe I'm taking this, ser- this question a little bit too seriously. But I feel like we already kind of uh, we already kind of have that guy with his uh, super positive nature. But I'll, I'll tell you this. One thing that's refreshing about Coley is that he sure is a lot more honest than Bill O'Brien was to yeah. a point. There are certain things, obviously Coley goes up there and lies through his teeth every time he's asked about Deshaun Watson. But there are other things that I, I appreciate, you know, his honesty on. We'll actually say this player, specific player, needs to do better mm-hmm. instead of, you know, we got to coach better, we got to play better, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I, I was not happy about the hire like, like everybody else, but uh, they kind of seem like one of the same to me. Yeah, it was funny, like – Whenever I wrote the post that the Texans interviewed David Coley, whenever like that announcement like was published that oh the Texans interviewed you know, this guy, I was like, should I even write this? Like, should I even publish this? Like, who cares? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is just like I guess just another name in the hat. They're just casting out wide net, and then he's the one who ended up getting the job, which is fine too. I'll never. I mean, he wa- didn't even think it was good. He didn't think it was going to get it either. Yeah. <laughs> God bless this team. Uh, I've never watched Ted Lasso. I'll never watch a minute of Ted Lasso, and I'm because I'm one of those like sick and twist individuals who is like always like cautious of whatever the the group think is of something. 
and especially right. like popular culture. Like if everybody likes this thing, I'm probably not going to like it. Or I don't really have a whole lot of interest in watching it. You know, like I, I have like a very like specific set of things I like and uh, like earnest, like happy, feely, like comedy is not something that I'm really into at all. Okay. Well then you should probably stay away from it from a little life scene. So, but it sounds like you were already there. <laughs> yeah, and I've been MK Ultra enough to having watched commercials on CBS. <laughs> where the the one that's been just driving me insane is that they like talk about their actual like shows, you know, like Young Sheldon or whatever. And I don't know who in the Ugh. world is watching Young Sheldon, but I would no. love to try to get out of like an engagement I may have. Be like, oh well, you know, we're we're going out for this person's birthday night. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go. Like, you know, the wife and I are catching up on Young Sheldon tonight, and it's our favorite show, you know. <laughs> but they have this weird little jingle on these like CBS like promos where it's like real happy music, like you're sitting there alone watching some CBS show about ghosts, like and having the time of your life. Uh, this yes. illusion is just disgusting, and it and it drives me insane. And uh, and the jingle just is in my head, and I feel like I'm being brainwashed whenever I watch CBS nowadays. When I see those commercials, the, that that specific commercial you're talking about, where they where they list like all their shows, to me it's the perfect thing to watch when you are terminal in the hospital. Yes, <laughs> and you're just like you looking at, up at this at this like a, a television that's not even a flat screen. It's been up on this little platform covered in dust in some sad place, and the television's been there for for 20 years. And, you know, it doesn't even really you can only see half the screen and the volume doesn't work very well. But you can peek through all that because of all the happiness you see in those sitcoms. And you just kind of smile as, you know, the uh, the anesthetic takes effect. <laughs> yeah, th that and then the Tony Romo Lime Time commercial uh, where they, no. they, sh they cut to the guy in his apartment by himself drinking a beer by himself, celebrating like this is just the most loneliest, heartbreaking devastating thing I've ever seen. I think about all the people out there watching football and I think probably a large segment was just like dudes by themselves drinking beer and now they're like trying to make this into some happy thing when happy I don't really thing, think exactly. it is. Yeah, as somebody I, who I, used to you know, drink, watch condensed games and drink six beers on Sunday night, <laughs> I was not jumping up and down. It was not a, it was not a jubilation, you know. It was fun. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't a birthday party, you know. <laughs> Yes, when when I see commercials like that, and this is this is what you know the quote thought leaders in the advertising industry think is is what is best. My 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 first thought is always like, we may think we know where things are going in America overall, but we really have no idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I know that's like a little bit out there to put in a football podcast, but it, we we seem to be on the same wavelength about these commercials. So I just wanted to get that thought out there. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, it just it drives me. And I I watched the game. My wife, I yell at her about this. I was like, "You're really on one right now." I said, "Well, damn it, woman, I'm always on one whenever I have to watch you know, these commercials." But I think it's a good way to put it. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just it's just bizarre. Just like how happy they try to make everything when it's not happy at all, yeah. and uh, and yeah, it's I agree sacred. with that. I agree with that too. And like anytime I think like I like even talking about this football podcast, we're getting very meta now. Like there's some things that you know, like I know or whatever, but we really or we think we know, but we really don't know you know a whole lot because there's so much behind the scenes or whatever. We just have this vantage point. Um, but like anybody like really thinks they know what's going on. I'm like, I don't, you don't, is everything so like big and complicated. Nobody has any idea what's really going on, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> Except for the Rothschilds, you know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just want to get one final thought in there while we were talking about those ads. Like, I think that also, here's where I think all that started. I think it started with fast food commercials okay. because 
if you think about what a real person's fast food experience is, you go to McDonald's, you get a Big Mac, you get all the stuff, and you're like, <laughs> ah, you know what, I'm going to grab two more burgers off the 99-cent menu. You go home, you house it in like two and a half minutes, and then instant regret hits. That's how it really works. In the commercials, when you take a bite of the hamburger, it's like you're having a full body orgasm from head <laughs> to toe. And I just never understood that. Like no, nobody does that. No one, no one has an out of body experience when they eat, uh, you know, a double cheeseburger from the 99 cent menu on, on McDonald's. You're just serving a purpose that you, you must eat. It's cheap. You got 11 kids. You got to feed them. So, yeah. Anyway, rant exactly. Over. <laughs> no, I, I love that too. And it's I think like the pharmaceutical uh, commercials they should do the same thing or fast food commercials where it's like you know McDonald's may cause suicidal thoughts you know after after you eat one of their hamburgers too. But <laughs> yes. see, these are the conversations that we have whenever I'm expansive and and shaky and uh, and hungover. And it was a perfect football game too for a backdrop to this conversation as well. Yeah, you're not going to get this anywhere else, folks. <laughs> no, this is it. This is it. Uh, our six million listeners love this exactly. This is why they turn in, tune in every week. Our next <laughs> question is from at fan I know, but he's had to change his name so many times that it's at f four n e y e n o. And if you like Astros baseball, make sure to follow him. I don't like the Astros at all, but he always <laughs> I like whenever he posts the groundskeeper and with the swept them host picture. I love that every time. You know, yeah, and good, he's, solid he's a good follow. He's a good guy. He, he, he doesn't like me very much on this show, but that's okay. I still like him. <laughs> yeah, um, he's a big Taylor fan though, which uh, you know mm-hmm. you can never trust people who are big Taylor fans. But his question was: <laughs> Is Coley running the special teams? And uh, I, I mean, he had to sign off on that decision. You know, like I think there's only maybe like Jim Fossil is the only guy who uh, who may have like his own autonomy as being like a great special teams coordinator. But I don't think that. I think every single time they do something bizarre like that. You know, they ask the coach say, Hey, we can try this out. You know, we're seeing this. And he says, yeah, go ahead, go for it. Let's do it. And, uh, yeah, Coley signed off on that complete, like completely ridiculous punt today. The fake, fake punt. Yeah. And of course, you know, he comes from the Ravens, which had John Harbaugh, the former special teams coordinator. So I just assumed that yes, he did have many things to do with that. Yeah. Um, our, ne- our next question is from Matt at found of H O U sports. And this really isn't a question, I guess, uh, the way it kind of came out. But I guess it's just a kind of a good way to summarize everything that just happened in this game with the kind of mismanagement of everything. He said, uh, is it more the question, the dumb punt play, the timeout usage, not letting him score late, <laughs> letting Tensil play in the field goal attempt, but not the rest of the game, or the 56-yard field goal attempt after two extra points? So I guess the question is, which one was the dumbest out of all these? Oh, my God. I mean... The dumbest decision, I feel like, well, okay, they made the they made the fake fake punt needlessly complex. So to me, when you do something needlessly complex, that's always up number one. Like I I I just that 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 infuriates me when you make something like that something simple and you turn into something like that. Especially if you're actually going to try to punt the ball. Like I do not understand that at all. Um, but I think for me, it's got to be the field goal because I feel like that was kind of the turning point of the game, basically. Um, I just, from there, it just seemed like it did not, it did not go well. And, and I, and like I said, you know, I loved how aggressive he was on fourth down and, um, I, but, but I would have preferred uh, a punt in that situation than going for a 56 yard field goal because Kaimi Fairbairn has never been the, the kind of kicker who has quickly bounced back from some bad kicks. If I recall 
correctly through his tenure with the Texans, he will have a bad stretch and then he'll have a good stretch. And he'll have a bad stretch and he'll have a good mm-hmm. stretch. He's not the kind where you like, you know, he misses two extra points and you're like, oh, we got, like I said earlier, you got to build his confidence up. You got to get him going again. He'll shank that one too. And especially when you put him in a tough position of making a 56 yard field goal, even though he gets paid $4 million a year and he was indoors. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think the fake, fake punt was the dumbest one. And I, I just, like, I'm sitting here and I still can't stop thinking of the fact they try to fake a fake punt. Yes. Like, <laughs> I, I, I cannot get over it. Uh, it's still the funniest thing I've ever seen. Because, I mean, <laughs> if, they're, if, they're, if they're actually going to punt the ball, I mean, the Texans have been pretty good on punt coverage this year. So wh- what is the point of that? I don't, I don't get it. I just, I really need to hear the explanation that I'm sure we're not going to get. Well, th- thank God for Rivers, you know, posting all those clips because I would never go out and watch this stuff. And so he's my he's my only source of how, what the coaches actually say. You know, I base my whole wor- worldview of you know, Nick Casario and David Coley based off the clips he posts. So I'm excited yes. for that one. I'm sure he'll have it here in the next like 25 minutes or so. Um, so talking about this team itself, you know, past all, you know, going through that big, enormous, just wad of of just hilarious decisions that led to them losing, you know, 25-22. We'll now start kind of talk about more the individual aspects of the game. We'll start the offense. Davis Mills was a lot better than he was last week whenever he had the third worst quarterback rating in franchise history and he entered the David Carr zone. Today he was 21-29 for 312 yards, averaged 10.8 yards an attempt, threw three touchdowns to zero interceptions, and he was sacked three times. Um, do you think he was good this game? I mean, you know, yeah, sure. I think he was. I think he was good for a good portion of the game. But the the proper context, of course, there is that you know he is a rookie. He had only started eleven games at Stanford. That all that stuff you already know. He got he got thrown into uh, duty before he was ready. Which, like, uh, you know, as far as the organization goes, I don't give them any credit, any break for that because they knew that Tyrod Taylor at some point was going to get hurt. That was going mm-hmm. to happen. It just kind of happened earlier than any of us would have wanted it to. So yeah, I thought he was he was pretty good. But I will say this, you know the if you look at the three touchdowns, one was a flea flicker, and he did a great mm-hmm. job delivering that ball. Um, but you know, the I think the the trick play nature of it is what is what helped the receiver get behind the, uh, the 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 DBs on that one. Yeah, he had the one to Chris Moore, which was a very risky throw that basically I think Chris Moore bailed him out on. I mean, I, I don't know if you consider that one threading the needle or if he just kind of got lucky there, and, and then you know, obviously the receiver made a move to score that touchdown. And then, you know, he had that nice throw to um, the tight end, Claire or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he, he, he did a, I think he did a pretty good, a good job, but it's also, you know, last week is fresh in my head. So it's, it's impossible um, not, to, not to compare them to you. Obviously, it was way better than last week. So, you know, I, I would say he was probably on the low end of good this week. Yeah, he was, it was like far away, like the best he's played this year. He, he took care of the ball, too, again, yeah. which, uh, I mean, he one thing about him is that other than a couple of exceptions, you know, for a rookie, he's not turned the ball over very much. And, you know, the offense in general has, has really limited the turnovers. So that's that's been a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of key, I think, for him was not turn the ball over at all. And they actually, like, threw the ball downfield a little bit. And, you know, before this, their entire offense was uh, curls and slants and – and comebacks to Brand Cooks, that quick out route they throw whenever he does a quick rollout on screens, and that was their entire offense. Today, they actually like pushed the ball downfield a little bit. Um, you know, Mills completed those two passes downfield, and they were able to break tackles and, and get yards after the catch on it. Um, 
But I like I, I mean like it is still I think a lot of like extenuating circumstances for his success today. You know, like you mentioned the flea flicker, the two big plays came from those broken tackles, and again like it's just still the the down and down accuracy isn't there. Like there's throws the flat that really simple they can't make. The throws down like down the sideline, there just doesn't seem like a plan at all. The ball is just kind of thrown there without like it really like any like clear intention of it even being completed a lot of the times too. And then it's just a ton of screen passes as well. So I'm not I don't think he was like particularly good today, but he was a lot better. And whenever you look at other rookie quarterbacks around the league, like he had, you know, um the type of game that none of these rookie quarterbacks have had yet, you know? So it's sure. it's like I think he was very he was good today. And uh and and it's just kind of, it was like the first time he's shown anything at all whatsoever. But I think there's a lot of extenuating circumstances and that's important more not really for like today's game at all, but more important of like what do you have in him in the future? You know, yeah. Like, are, is this a is this a Davis Mills franchise quarterback or is this Davis Mills backup quarterback to somebody next year? And uh, like I haven't seen anything that points to you know him being like a long term starter in the league at all whatsoever. I mean, the only thing I've seen that points to him being a long term starter for the Texans is Cal McNair last week saying after the Buffalo game that he was doing everything they expected him to do. <laughs> So, I mean, if that was the Buffalo game, then he might be getting a six-year extension after today's game. So I, I, it's, a, it's a weird place to be as a Texans fan right now because I personally am not the guy who roots for, for, for the Texans to lose to improve their draft position. I, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm not mad that they lost today, but I'm not going to root for them to lose, if that makes sense. So for me, it's strange because I want the Texans to do well. I want the team to win, but Davis Mills – showing improvement is kind of terrifying because it just further cements my thought that at the end of the season, they're just going to be like, well, you know, it was tough circumstances and, you know, we had a lot of adversity and blah, blah, blah. So we're, you know, we're going to use our number one pick next year on, you know, the top corner or the top pass rusher or whatever, and not whoever the top quarterback is. And man, I, you know, obviously it depends on who all these players are. We can't really get into draft talk anytime soon, but it just scares me that they're going to think they have something more in him than they do. But I also do want to give him some credit. And I, and I think you have to add proper context when you're talking about whether or not, you know, a, a rookie quarterback in under the circumstances that he's facing uh, is improving or not. And, 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 and I think the kinds of, if, I feel like the kinds of things that he's lacking at right now. I, I don't think he's going to become a Hall of Famer or anything, but I, I don't see why he couldn't improve, especially when, again, you consider that he only had you know the 11 starts in college. He got thrown in before he was ready. He wasn't practicing with the first team up until he, until he became the starter. So I, I don't see why he can't improve and become you know maybe an average or slightly below average quarterback. And I, I feel like if he gets to the level of, you know, average by the end of the year, if he ends up playing a lot more games, I, I, I'm just terrified that they're just going to yeah. keep rolling with that guy. And we'll be stuck where we were before we found Deshaun Watson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Average is scary. I just don't think he'll find that. Yeah. And... But average is scary. Like you, you, you would rather have Brock Osweiler than Andy Dalton. You know, yeah. like you, you want someone that you're like, okay, no, we need to move on. Not someone who you're like, Oh, you know, this guy might, if we put the right pieces around him, Maybe we're going to get where we need to go. I do not want to go through another 10 years of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think saying average is scary for quarterback play is, is good because it's like, well, then you end up with Garoppolo and you have to have the entire roster put together. And yeah. then when you need to make one throw in the Super Bowl, he overthrows and you don't win that game, you know? And, yep. uh, and like you can win, like you can, again, like you can win games. You can win a Super Bowl without 
great quarterback play, but it makes it a lot harder. And there's so many revolving pieces that if one of those pieces falters and the whole machine breaks down, that's more to happen than, let's say, like, you know, your quarterback does. And so it makes it a lot easier from there. We're able to have consistent success. Like, the only teams that have consistent success in the NFL have the quarterback position locked down. And the Texans don't. Like, every, the only thing that really matters is for this year is what they get from Watson and what do they do at quarterback, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. going forward. So, I don't know. I just don't think he has the accuracy. Like, I think for sure he's not going to be, like, 12.8 new quarterback rating in Buffalo in the rain every week. But uh, I just don't think he's the accuracy. He doesn't have the athleticism to overcome it. He's bad in the pocket. You can blitz him, and he doesn't really have an answer at all for it. Um, and maybe, like, he can be – he's a smart enough guy that he can overcome that with his brain. But I just think, like, his body, you know, his athletic profile and the, and the skills he's shown just aren't really there to point to any sort of long-term success as a quarterback – and today, you know, he had a good game, but a lot of it, I think, was fluky and not um, replicable, you know. Yeah, he, he's not great in the pocket yet, but I also don't feel like he's scared in the pocket as yeah. much as mm-hmm. previous Texans quarterbacks we've seen. We, You know, guys like Osweiler and several – I keep saying his name. I shouldn't, I know. Yeah, uh, I, I get – my brain just starts searing and pain. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> he, he will not be named whatever his little nickname is, the non-person. <laughs> Uh, with with he and other quarterbacks of the past for the Texans, you know, I, I think it's just this is this is this result of of scarring uh, because of those quarterbacks. Where I'm comparing Mills's pocket presence to them. If you compare Mills's pocket presence to other quarterbacks, it's bad. If you compare him to previous Texans quarterbacks, he's better than some who are veterans. So I, I can see I, I can see that he at least has the uh, I think he has the gumption to stay in the pocket. It's just not working for him yet. He can't he can't hit the reads yet. But even today, he stepped into a throw where he knew he was going to get belted, and he did. And I can't remember if he hit it or not. I think he did hit it. Um, but he stepped right into a throw today where he got smashed. So uh, that that encourages me. That that was uh, that was a good sign. And yeah, he's not getting the reads yet. But I don't feel like it's because his brain completely like falls apart in short circuits. And, and once he doesn't hit, have his first read, I just feel like it's it's lack of experience. I don't think he's going to get great, but I think he will improve at it. Whereas others, you could see immediately, uh, no, this guy is not going to ever be able to read defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's his best trait though. It's not his, like a, his ability to move in the pocket. Like that was bad at Stanford. Like he doesn't have like very good pocket awareness at all. Um, like he takes sacks that he shouldn't. He like, whenever there's pressure, he doesn't maneuver the pocket yet. But I think that's something like a quarterback can learn. Unlike like accuracy, you know, accuracy is something that usually just kind of is what it is. Um, for a lot of these guys. But I do think his best trade is exactly what you said, like his ability to stand strong in pressure and throw through the pressure and not you know, chicken out every time there's any sort of side of it. You know, he's not Baker Mayfield. If he sees somebody, he, you know, cowers and, and runs out to the right side. Yeah, and spins out time. and just ruins the play immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like Case Keenum spinning around backwards, you know, taking 17-yard sacks either. Um, so he is good at, like, that part of the game. And so, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see as he gets more integrated in the offense. You know, hopefully the brain gets better because I think that's the only way he can have success in the NFL is if he just is like you know really intelligent, really understands the game well, and knows exactly where to where the ball needs to go. Just because that can overcome you know all the issues with his inaccuracy and his him being slow and not being able to break tackles and and things like that. Even though he has broken a few tackles um, this year too. So the other problem with this team and and one of the reasons why you know, Mills has, had, has struggled so much and why they were having to come back or unable to close this game is they can't run the ball. And the Patriots have a terrible run defense. 
They're third. They ranked thirtieth in run defense DVOA entering this game. Uh, even the Miami Dolphins were able to run against them, and they the Dolphins can't run the ball against anybody at all. Uh, the Texans had twenty three carries for sixty five yards from their running back position. They averaged two point five two yards an attempt. Mark Ingram was sixteen for forty one yards. Phil Lindsay five for nineteen yards. He actually broke a tackle today. Uh, David yeah. Johnson had two carries for five yards. And their offensive line was, you know, reconfigured with Marcus Cannon out. Rather than like do the right thing and just move Ty's Howard back to tackle, they failed to mid failure and are keeping him at guard. So they had a heck of a right tackle. Um, and then Laramie Tensler hurt his hand, and Jaron Christian played left tackle for a lot of the game. Uh, but he was able to stand in on an extra point or on field goals, of course. Um, and even against this bad run defense, they still couldn't run the ball at all. So what did, what did you see at the run game today? Like, what do you think is the reason for why it's been bad, so bad this year? Oh, man, I, I really don't like, I, I shy away from, from jumping on players about, about effort level, but I, I feel like a, a lot of, a lot of success in a running game for an offensive line is it, you know obviously it's about scheme first and you know talent they don't have any excuses there because as far as their draft pedigree goes the Texans have high draft pedigree on their front on their uh, on their offensive line so that's certainly not an excuse I just I I don't I don't think their offensive linemen I don't think they have any dogs on that line like I yeah. don't, I don't mm-hmm. see guys who want to like finish plays and I'm not, I'm not talking about dirty play so like don't get that twisted if you're listening out there like I, that's that's not what I'm saying. I just don't see guys who want to who, who go out play after play and like want to physically dominate someone and finish blocks and stay on their blocks. You know, we've seen a million times in the passing game, you know, Tunsil, you know, spend, you know, the first three or four seconds blocking and then just like basically yeah. give up. Uh, and I think I think some of that happens on the on the run side, too. Like they have a they have a tough time. Um, they just they just I don't know if it's a chemistry issue it's like I said, it's certainly not a talent issue. They uh, the team jettisoned uh, Mike Devlin, you know, a couple of years too late, and they brought in a guy who knows what he's doing uh, in Campin. And sure, it's only been one off season that, that they've had him, and it wasn't a complete off season. But I mean, there should have been some improvement from that too. So I, I mean, I wish I, I wish I had a better answer for you, other than the fact that I just don't I don't see them physically dominating guys, and I don't know if it's because they don't have the right physical makeup for the type of team they want to be. Um, I, I know it definitely doesn't help that, like you said, uh, Titus Howard being out there at playing guard, it, it's just been a weird experiment that is not working at all. And I don't know why they did it. Cause he looked pretty promising as a tackle. Um, you know, Tunsil has not really developed chemistry with him and the two of them together aren't being the nasty pair they should be. So, man, I, I wish I had a better answer. You know, you I know you watch a lot more game film than I do, so uh, I'm not sure what it is you've been seeing, but I, I do feel like there's some issues with the types of players they draft and the types of team they want, the type of running team that they want to be. Um, and there's still a lot of that. There's still too much of the that that Tim Kelly during the Bill O'Brien phase scheme where they they do that handoff from the shotgun. I, I hate that play. Like it. It's never really worked for them uh, much, uh, other than when they had Carlos Hyde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's a great point, and like they don't have that tenacity. Like I know Justin Britt talks a lot about you know being mm-hmm. tough and how much he loves you know getting hit and being sore and all that. But like if it doesn't really matter if you slide the wrong way and allow a free rusher and Jamie Collins picks up an easy sack, you know. But they just yeah they don't finish blocks and they're not very they're not brutal at all. 
And a lot of the issues like in the run game can be masked if you're like if you're able to physically like just overwhelm teams and they don't do that at all. And I think it's yeah. and I think sometimes it's a lack of effort. Like I do think Ty Howard sometimes just gives up on plays, especially the second level. I think Larry Tunsell does as well too. Um, you know, and, and like it's weird just because each one of them have their own set of problems, you know. Like Britt should be playing for an outside zone team. The Texans don't have a, a line that can block that play and they keep trying to run their bad at it. You know, Howard, I wrote about his struggles last week. If you want to you know, read it, it's there on the website still, too. Tunzel's mm-hmm. allergic to run blocking. He's never been good at it. Sharping still isn't strong enough to play guard, and he didn't have, like, a, a, like skills at tackle in Northern Illinois that would translate to the pro game, you know. And Cannon's been fine, but it's like he's 32. He had a back injury before. He didn't play at all last year, and now he has another back injury, and he's going to be out for you know, extended period of time. And now we see what Charlie Heck can do at right tackle, and it's like, just play Howard at right tackle then. And even whenever Tunsil went out, they could put Howard at left tackle and put Jaron Christian in too. But yeah, I, I like that thought. Um, I agree. And the and I think the perfect symbol for it, and don't take this the wrong way. I'm, I'm joking, of course. But the perfect symbol for the lack of brutality is uh, Larry Tunsil's nose ring, you know. <laughs> Just, you know, six seven, three hundred fifteen pounds wearing a nose ring in a professional <laughs> football game. And that that's the perfect symbol for the Texans' lack of, like, you know, physically overwhelming teams despite all the investments, their offensive line. Yeah. And, and, you know, being Texans fans, we have seen some damn good run blocking over the years back in the Kubiak Mm -hmm. days. And I mean, those games you would, you would, you would watch. And, and by the end of the game, the offensive line would just be overwhelming the defense. They would be so gassed. And, you know, that was the, that was the beauty of the Kubiak system. You know, they were not a game plan offense. They would just do the same thing and say to the other team, let's see if you can beat it. And often in the heyday when they had, you know, Arian going and they had, you know, they had mid and late, they had uh, mid round and late round guys on the offensive line as opposed to now where we have high draft guys and they would just physically dominate people, even though they weren't like big goons, like they were, they were more Mm -hmm. athletic, smaller guys, but man, they would just wear those teams out. And then the combination of that line and then, of course, Arian doing what he did, which was always being his strongest late in the game. And you would, they would just pummel teams with the run game. And I just don't see any of the – I know it's not the same scheme. It's a totally different scheme. I get that. But I don't see any of those traits in this current yeah. offensive line. And, 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 you know, what do you do? Like you can't, you can't turn over an entire offensive or defensive line in one season – and make it better. You've got to work with what you got. You know, they might get rid of one or two guys, but they're not going to wipe it out and start over. But we've seen enough of these guys, I think, to know that it ain't going to work. You know, we've been to our granted. We're only a few. We're only a few weeks into James Campen as the offensive line coach and this current group doing what they're doing. But they're basically the same group as last exactly. year, mm-hmm. as last year with a couple of with a couple of changes. I mean, they you know they clearly. I don't care if Justin Britt how old he is, whatever he he's an improvement over what we had at center before. Yeah. Uh, and so they, you know, they should be better. They should definitely be better. And I don't think they have an excuse. I think the only thing that's keeping them from being a better line is all within the walls at NRG. It's nothing external. There's just something that isn't working. And I'm sure it's a combination of their, you know, lack of ability to finish blocks, uh, their lack of ability to physically dominate teams and also, you know, maybe the changes with Campen, and maybe we should give that some more time to breathe. But, man, it's just been bad. And then when you go against a team that can't stop the run and you still can't run, mm-hmm. it's even worse. Yeah, and I, I kind of joked around 
last week that the Texans can run the ball this week. They should just liquidate the franchise after talking so much <laughs> about how they're going to run the football or commit to run the football. And Tim Kelly saying the biggest thing he learned last year is that he needs to run the football more. And all the investment and now adding Yokan and adding Britt, making the big move of you know, moving Tyus Howard left guard after all that, going up against a bad run defense, they still can't run the football at all. Um, it's it's unreal. And like I've kind of given up any hope at all for this version of the offensive line ever being good. You know, like I, I feel like just get five new guys in there. I'm and uh, I'm tired of watching, you know, this Especially group. Especially in a lost season. Why yeah, not? yeah, and just like, it's just the same thing, and it's been the same thing for the past few years. You know, the offensive line hasn't won games for this team since 2015, back when they had Brian Brooks and Derek Newton and uh, and even Xavier Sofia and Dwayne Brown, you know, and Ben Jones at center. That was the last time they had a good offensive line, and it's mm-hmm. been, you know, I guess six years now, and they still have problems that they invest into it and it doesn't add up. But yeah, I mean, the hope this year is that camping coming in would fix things, but it hasn't. They still can't block outside zone. They still like have technique issues that, you know, split double teams and that sort of thing. And there's an effort issue. And I don't like the configuration of it doesn't add up either. And I don't know why they kept trying to be an outside zone team too. And so the numbers, yeah, it's, it's just as bad as it was last year with Mike Devlin. And whenever that happens, it's either, well, you sign a bad coach again, you have a bad scheme or you have a player issue. And right now, it's kind of looking like it's just a player issue, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, and and it's and it's just really again, there's no excuse. They have they have they have a ton of money and and high draft picks tied into that offensive line. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I I think we've identified a lot of the potential issues there. But man, it's just that it sucks because there's no quick fix for an offensive line. There's just, there's no quick fix. You're just stuck with what you got basically until next season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of funny too. You think back on the 18 draft, they drafted, you know, three players in the first three rounds and none of them play the position that they were drafted at. You know, Howard went from a, a left tackle to right tackle to right guard to right tackle. And now he's playing left guard. He never played left tackle at all in the NFL. Max Sharping went from a, went from, you know, a tackle to a guard. And then Lion Johnson Jr. went from a cornerback to a slot cornerback to now playing safety. And no, none of those, those guys, none of those guys even play the same position they play in college. And it's kind of like the same thing, you know, just the issues with this franchise that developing young talent. And none of those three players have been particularly good yet in the NFL. Like, however, is the only one who's shown, like, much promise. And it was just him pass protecting on the edge, you know. And that was his best mm-hmm. trait. And now he no longer has that playing on the inside, too. Um, the last thing offensively I want to bring up, I don't, we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on it, but this is the first game where Brandon Cooks wasn't the entirety of the pass offense. He had three catches for 23 yards. Um, Johnson had five catches for 46. Conley had three for 84. And Chris Moore had the game of his life uh, with five catches for 109 yards. So they spread the ball out more, too, and New England plays a lot of man coverage. I'm interested to watch the film and just see, like, oh, was just Brandon Cooks locked down by J.C. Jackson? Uh, or what went along there, or these other routes were open, and also you know there are big plays off broken tackles too that make these numbers you know a little bit bigger than what you know they probably were too. Yeah, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, was Chris Moore not lined up in the slot for most of the game? Yeah, I think he played in the slot for most of it. Okay, so that begs the question then. You know, there's only room on the roster for one of those guys, as we've established with Anthony Miller getting cut. So mm-hmm. who do they cut? Chris Moore or Danny Amendola? <laughs> uh, you can't cut Danny. You know you have no, to you, keep those expatriate players. I mean, I just it just it's just an opportunity for me to take a shot at that ridiculous reasoning that Cully gave in that presser about Anthony Miller. That oh, we only have so many guys that we could have at that position. Uh, oh, okay, and then you don't even activate the guy. You bring a guy from the practice squad. All right. 
Great and, reasoning, bro. Thank yeah, you so much has, for that. It has a better game than like Miller had too. Like I don't I don't think Miller was good. Like I didn't really understand that like the trade is like a buy buy low option or whatever, even though they still gave up a little bit to get him, you know. Yeah. Gave up a fifth and a seventh. I didn't think he was good. I think he was a net negative for the Bears last year. And uh and then like but it's also cutting him like they did so you can give older players, oh. you know, playing time in kind of a season where you're you know, you're one in four now, even go last week being one in three. Uh, didn't make much sense at all whatsoever. And the other thing I've kind of seen too on on Twitter is like about Casario's like decisions to make trades. Like they're like looking at this as like a ledger that has to be balanced. You know, well he's getting he's getting the same picks back in that he's giving out, but that doesn't matter. You know, you could have more draft picks than the same amount of draft picks. You know, and so mm-hmm. for a football team that is young, well not even young, but is bad, you know, veteran heavy, has a lack of young talent in the roster. And to rebuild, the most important you know resource is draft capital, so you can mm-hmm. be able to replenish of young players you can keep around, cost-effective contracts for a long period of time. You need draft picks. You should be hoarding picks instead of giving them out and try to keep a, a balanced ledger. It should be tilted the other way, where you have more assets than debts. So then that way you can get the young players that you need for whenever this team is going to be good again, if that ever happens. Yeah, and and you said they they gave up a five and a seven for Miller. Yeah. And so that 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 doesn't sound like a lot, but I feel like you know the seventh is whatever. But I feel like you know a good general manager, they're not going to hit on everything. But I mean, you could get a solid ten-year starter out of a fifth-round pick, like say for an offensive lineman or a rotational defensive lineman. I mean, you can find players in the fifth round if you know what the hell you're doing. And I don't even think like it. I'm not even saying that like the top the top general managers can do that. I mean, you're going to hit on some fifth rounders, so. You know, for me, it's like I, I don't I didn't really understand the move. And I and I and I, I still look at a fifth rounder as someone that if you know what you're doing, you can make mm-hmm. you can make something out of a player like that. Six and sevens. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of fifths sometimes you can turn those guys into a solid star. They're not going to be Hall of Famers. They're not going to be pro bowlers usually. But, you know, that that's that's an asset that I would like to keep. Um, and, and the one thing I will give and maybe this is maybe I'm giving Casario too much credit for this, but, and I'm sure, you know, we've all seen this reply several times, which is unlike O'Brien and Rick Smith, at least, you know, he cuts bait when there's a mistake, doesn't keep him around for a long time. And I do give him credit for it. That's, that's great, but it doesn't excuse the fact that you're also making bad moves that make you have to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I looked at the trade and just now they got Anthony Miller and a seventh round pick and they gave out a fifth round pick for it, you know? And, uh, and like, I understand you make decisions, you make mistakes, you move on from them, but they don't do that. You know what I mean? Like they've yeah. they stuck around David Johnson. They didn't trade Laramie Tunsil and they had a chance to, and so they restructured him, restructured a lot of players. And now, uh, and now this Tyus Howard move as well, too, that hasn't worked out. They're leaving him there as well. So I don't know. I don't get it. And again, like draft capital is the most important resource in a rebuild. And they're not, they, ha- they didn't do a very good job trying to maximize that by trading up like they did and making trades for veteran players, too. So, you want to hear what David Coley said about the fake punt now that Rivers finally posted the clip of it? <laughs> Please. Breaking, breaking news, you know. Coley on the <laughs> schematics of the punt. That was a possibility that if they gave us the right look, dot, 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 we were possibly going to fake it. They didn't give us a look, so we were going to back out and just repunt, dot, dot, dot. It didn't work out. We ended up having a leakage in the middle. Yeah, because it wasn't a leakage in the middle. It's because your guy, you have five yards of space, and the guy got pushed back three yards, you know, which typically happens on a pump block. You never see a pump 
right? You never see a punt where like everybody just holds their blocks, you know? Yeah. You're gonna no. lose a couple of yards. Unbelievable. <laughs> Gosh. That's incredible. I wonder if that'll be another one of those where, like, in another week, someone will follow up with him and he'll be like, "Ah, I screwed that up." Because again, O'Brien never would have done that, but Cully did admit that he screwed up when he uh, when he declined that that uh, penalty a couple of weeks ago um, mm-hmm. on, on the, the that fiasco that, where they. Yeah, I've just kind of talking about that. Where I, it's just funny, like how low the bar is after Bill O'Brien, like how hurt exactly, we yes. are. That's like. The one of the dumbest things you'll ever see, he apologized for, like, you know, good for Coley to do a very basic human thing. You know what I uh-huh. mean? Like, a very right, just, exactly. like, the most simple thing you do is admit when you're wrong. I know a lot of people are bad doing that, but to be lauded Especially for... Especially that business. Yeah and, then, yeah, and then to be lauded for, you know, doing it that time. But I want to get um, that fake punt tattooed down my spine. I wish I could do that somehow <laughs> until we get the technology. I don't know. I wish I could get a gift tattooed if I could do that. I would get that. I would get a gif of that fake punt going down my spine. You know. Well, I think I don't know about the tattoo, but I think by the time you're dead and gone, they will have uh, headstones that will have gifts on them. That's what I'm shooting for. Ooh, okay. And and you can tuck that away, like have a little file of your favorite gifts, and uh, and that'll be it. That'll be a front runner. Yeah, I I want a headstone though. I I told everybody I need I do need to make a will sometime, but. Uh, whenever I die, I don't want a headstone. Just go drop me off in the desert and let the vultures eat my bones and let the the maggots eat out my eyes and just let me return to the earth. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I, I actually have a very similar uh, death wish, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so defensively, you know, Houston played a, a fine defense. I think in the first half, which again and again and again and again and again, this defense relies entirely on turnovers. When they don't turn the ball out, when they don't force turnovers, it's bad. When they force turnovers, it's okay. It's acceptable. You know, and you can say that about not you can say that about every defense out there, but unlike other defenses who can get stops on third downs and, and actually force teams to punt, the Texans can't really force punts at all. And so they rely on turnovers to to end drives. And they had two in the first half. They didn't have any in the second half, one of which in the first half took points off the board by Harris fumbling, you know, right at the goal line too. But I mean they have the same issues here, like you know, they can't rush the passer. So they can't really play zone coverage. They don't have the safety play to play cover three. They don't have the cornerback play to play man coverage. So they can't really blitz it all. So they're having to you know, drop five in his zone coverage, and the pass rush never gets there at all whatsoever. Um, the biggest thing that Levy Smith has done recently is they start playing a lot more cover three against Buffalo, and it didn't work. But they were able to, like, you know, instead of just getting picked apart by being stretched horizontally by good Buffalo pass offense. They were stretched apart vertically, you know, by Lion Johnson Jr. getting mogged by Josh Allen multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved Johnson Jr. to free safety, and they moved Desmond King to outside cornerback. What have you thought so far about Johnson Jr. at free safety and, and King as an outside corner? And uh, It feels like Lonnie has – I can't – I think it's more of him being in the right place at the right time. Um, but he seems to be around the ball a lot, which is which is what you want from a safety. But I, I think a lot of that has just been you know poor execution by the by the offenses he's been facing. But I mean, you know, when you're in that moment, you got to make that play. So if whether you know if you're if you're in the right spot and you catch it, then you know, good on you. So it, he he seemed he seemed to at least been around the ball a little bit, which, which is good. Uh, I, I was a little confused that they wanted to change what they were doing with Justin Reed, since he is a guy that, you know, kind of struggled last year, but is trying to get back on track and seemed to seem to also kind of have a nose for the ball as the, as the, as the season had started off here, he should have had two interceptions today, of course. And I'm sure he's mad as hell at Justin for tipping that one away from him. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I, I think, you know, with the trade of uh, Bradley Roby, 
they really threw themselves into a pickle with with their defensive backs this year. So I don't I don't blame them for experimenting and changing things up. Uh, they I mean they caused the problem themselves obviously by getting rid of their best corner. But you know I get it. They need draft capital. This is this is a lost season. Blah blah blah. So I, I get the motivation for it. But I I feel like they're going to continue to do this stuff and sort of like tinker and and adjust and 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 probably it's also going to depend on the the opponents every week. Um, you know, I thought Desmond King was a pretty decent pickup, uh, but when he might be the best corner on your team, that's uh, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I that's kind of the thing too about like Casario's off season, and that was my biggest gripe about it. I didn't think the moves he made were very good at all, you know. Mm-hmm. But like, I, like, and I understand like the plan or the idea of you know changing the culture by signing a bunch of veterans and all that. But what I didn't get at all was like just the schism between rebuilding and trying and attempting to be good for this year. You know, by signing time veterans, by restructuring contracts, and then by you know trading draft picks, all at the same time as like being a bad team to rebuild, and didn't make very much sense at all whatsoever. And then you, you go and trade Bradley Roby, and it's like, well, hold on here, are you trying to be good, or do you think mm-hmm. like Vernon Hargraves and Mitchell are good enough at outside corner that you don't need Roby, which is insane and not true. And so there just wasn't like a, a collective plan at all. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't really like Lonnie Johnson Jr. at all. Like I haven't since he was going back to his video at Kentucky when he wasn't good playing cornerback there. Um, I mean, I and I don't understand the move too to free safety because he doesn't really influence the play at all. You know, from that position, he kind of stands back there and he just drives down on stuff. His two interceptions that one today was thrown. You know, he came down the ball, but it was, th- it was a miss inside. They kind of hit, hit right at him. But again, like he just kind of drives down the ball well. The interception against Buffalo, I had no idea who Josh Allen was throwing that ball to. And he was just kind of right place at the right time on it. But he's not a very good tackler. He you know, had that 15-yard penalty today. He had one last week as well, too. Um, and, like, as a deep middle defender, he just doesn't really influence plays to the catch point at all. And that's kind of what you need. And they Or they'll have him play, like, 30 yards off the ball. He doesn't even know where to line up sometimes, too. And I like Justin Reed a lot more at free safety than strong safety. I know they're doing Same. that to, like, help out the run game. And now he's close to the ball and all that. But he's so good as like a as like a deep middle defender where he can take away an entire team's deep passing attack. Like we saw what Romeo Cornell did with him his second year in the league, where the Texans were awful at stopping the short pass, but they were great at stopping the deep pass, and they bent like as much as possible. And so I prefer Reed more in that role just because he can actually affect passes, whereas like Johnson just kind of drives down stuff in front of him, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. He he does he does keep the play in front of him a lot, which. I know also is part of scheme, but I, I don't really, I don't really get to, I, I understand them trying to find what's best to make Lonnie Johnson work, but I, I understand, I, I don't understand pulling Justin Reed out of what I feel like is a better position for him. So I, I kind of, I kind of wonder if maybe they, uh, well, I don't know what kind of draft pick they could get for Lonnie Johnson. Maybe, maybe like a sixth at best. I don't know. If I, don't that know. Even, I don't know if a team would trade for him. And I think the, uh, I mean, only, the only argument for that, like you just mentioned, is that, well, Reed's a free agent this year, so are they just expecting to not re-sign him? And they can see what Johnson Jr. can do at free safety because he has an extra year in his contract that you know Justin Reed doesn't have. You know, Maybe that's the argument for it, but I think football-wise, you're putting, you know, like Reed can play strong, but he's not as good as at free safety. And so like, you're doing this to see what you have in Johnson Jr., but... I don't know. I guess I, it yeah. just doesn't make much sense to me. Reed can play strong, fine, but I just feel like he, you know, he he will affect the game more as a free safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I, I don't. Again, 
there's so many factors that are all over the place with this team with like, oh, what are they really trying to do this year? Are they trying to get looks at guys? They know they're not going to win. So all that stuff plays in. And, and like you said, maybe they're trying to see what they have in Lonnie. Maybe they expect to lose Justin. I, I really have no idea. I mean, would you, I know this is not really something that we had planned to talk about and the off season is a better time for it, but like speaking right now, would, would you, would you resign Justin Reed? I mean, he's the only like really good defender they have, you know. And, like, but I mean, you know, you know how it works with free agents. Yeah, you know, it's guys, like you pay him twelve million dollars a year. Yeah, he, and, he's uh, he's a he's an above average safety, but he's gonna want top ten safety money. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think it's hard. It's, it's like, a no it's, for me, at least right now. Yeah, it's just hard because he's the only good player you have on the entire defense, and it's like, well, you know, we're probably be bad, and it's not as much a premium position at safety. He's in one twelve million dollars a year, and he's not a top five safety or a top ten safety probably, but he's like you know very good, you know, and so yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's a hard one. I would say probably we'll, not, we'll, just because we'll of, pick that up in the off season, I guess. Yeah, or whenever they make the decision for us. But yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I need. I need my brain's too fried to to critical think that deeply on that one. But I think it's you. probably the hardest decision they face next off season, aside from the Watson trade, is you know what do you do with Justin Reed? You know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Desmond King outside corner is just it's exactly what the issue was by keeping Vern Hargraves and not investing in the cornerback position at all and training Bradley Roby is that the thing about depth is that you have to you get called on it and you have to use it. And so King's not a man coverage cornerback. Like he can't do it at all. Um, mm-hmm. he's better in the slot, he's better as a hook defender, we can react and make plays on the ball. And he was bad outside cornerback again this week. He was bad um, last week as well too at it, and it's not his strong suit all whatsoever. And so I don't really understand like it's like I know why they did it because you can't play Vernon Hargraves, but that's what you get for keeping Vernon Hargraves around, you know, and training Bradley Roby. So yeah, it just sucks. Like they they keep putting guys in. This is their best spot, and this is what they're best at. But let's put them over here because we have inefficiencies on the roster that we create by making terrible decisions. And that's what they did with Tyus Howard. It's what they did with Reed. It's what they they did with Desmond King now as well too. It's what they did with Charles Amenahu by making him play as a pure defensive end. He's not good at that role also. So it's just kind of all over the place. They're just mismatching their roster with what they what they what they can should be doing with it. Yeah, again, the ghost of Bill O'Brien still in the building. Ooh. You know, that that was that was one of the things that drove us nuts about O'Brien is him drafting guys, bringing guys in and then not using them to what their to what their you know, their best ability is. I mean, at least they figured out with, you know, they, they made the wrong decision to keep David Johnson, but if they're going to play him at least they're using them in the passing game, and he's mm-hmm. only getting a couple of carries a game. That they figured that one thing out. So I I don't know why they they refuse to do the same with so many other guys where they just don't have them playing in the right position. I, I don't know if that's arrogance where guys just like oh well you have the traits of this so we can make you into this instead of looking at the game tape from their college ball and being like well clearly you know you're a you're a tackle you're not a guard but uh, so we're going to keep you a tackle. Well, no, you have the traits. We think you could be a great guard. So we throw him at guard doesn't work and then they won't quit on it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, or it's also like, just, I guess, keep them there instead of keep moving them so far in their career in all these different spots there. I mean, like the Texans treat their young players, like a, somebody in college who changes their major, you know, four times in two years, they don't graduate for eight years because of it. You know? <laughs> right. so I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen over these guys who are different teams, but you know, like right now it hasn't worked out very well either. Uh, and, and I mean, and and, um, and Titus, I mean, he seemed to he was be good at go- every tackle. He couldn't run block at all there whatsoever. Awful run blocker. Great pass protector, though. At least he showed that, you know. Yeah, you could see you could see that he could become something. 
with continued, you know, coaching and improvement and just experience. But but also like just on on a personal level for him, he he seemed pretty affable about the switch. You like in interviews, he was just like, I'll do whatever it takes to help the team win, blah, blah, blah. I don't think he understands as a tackle, he stands to make a lot more damn money in his mm-hmm. second con- in his second contract than he does at guard. And and the Texans have stunted his growth at the possibility of him becoming a uh, you know a, a better than average or even and you know a, a tackle that excels. Now he's stuck as a guard and it's and it's going to hurt his earning power too. Yeah, I agree with that. And I they have I guess two years until they have to make a decision with him. I mean, yeah. I guess they have the fifth year you know option that they'll have to decide on um, after this season. So I don't know. It's a, it's weird. I just want to play a tackle. Even when Tunsil went down, we had a question from somebody that came up earlier this week on Twitter. And he was saying, well, why, how about they move Howard to left tackle and then you know, trade Tunstall whatever next year? And yeah, let's see what he looks like left tackle even. you know, Maybe that's another idea where you can get draft picks for Tunstall. You already have a left tackle on the roster. You don't have to worry about going and dressing that position too. But instead, he's just going to play left guard and be bad at it uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, we've been screaming for them to trade Tunstall, you know. At the beginning, at the at the end of last year, or I guess it was when all the Watson stuff happened, when it was clear that mm-hmm. Watson wasn't going to be here, it's like, hey man, whatever you can get for him, get it for him. Uh, clearly, they did not have that same thought. And I don't know how many years that Tunsil has left on his contract, but man, like uh, as soon as it becomes uh, cap, you know, not so damaging to the cap to to move on from him, I just you know, you, there's so much money tied up in him, and you're not getting close to that. And I know you have to overpay for that. But the way that whole situation was handled with O'Brien, obviously, like giving him a ridiculous deal, all the draft picks. Like, I just want to move on from the Laramie Tunsil experiment so badly. But especially if there's no, you know, we don't have a we don't have a quarterback. We're in a transitional year. That that's my 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 last big hope for 2021 Texans football is that some team gets desperate and trades for Tunsil at the you know near the deadline. I, I don't see it happening because of his salary. It's, yeah. it's going to be really tough, but if there's a significant injury to a contender, then who knows, you know, maybe something, maybe something could happen. Even if they could just get a mid round pick form at this point, I just want to move on from him so badly. Yeah. I, I agree with that too. And it's like, so Tunstall, cause they restructured him. He has a cap hit of $9 million this year, but you know, you have all that bonus money. It says if they traded him, they would only get $990,000 in cap relief. And they would pay eight million dollars in dead money, you know, for the next three years because of it. And Oof. so they really can't trade him until two thousand twenty-two. And if they did so, they would only, you know, they would they would get like I think eight million dollars um, if they did it then or whatever. So, but they probably just have that set up too, where if they, they're probably just going to extend him instead before they get this like twenty-six. They, he has a cap in next year, twenty-six million dollars, and they may just extend him to lower that down to like. 20 Ugh. or whatever it is, you know, well, now, I don't know. Now I'm not, now I'm not feeling well. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't see him being traded. And it's, <laughs> I, I had no idea when I opened my mouth about Laramie Tunsil that we were going to end up talking about a possible extension for him. So I, I just, I, I don't, I don't like you right now. Yeah. And he's a good <laughs> pass protector. He just doesn't like he is. to run. He's block. great as a pass protector. It's beautiful when he pass protects, but like you mentioned, like that Frank Clark sack is what I was thinking that Kansas City playoff game where he just gives up on his block after four seconds and Watson just yes. running around circles with Frank Clark chasing him yeah. and goes down, you know? Yeah. Especially when you know that your quarterback is Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. If your quarterback is Tom Savage, fine, quit on the play. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, you got to do everything you can. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's ridiculous. But I think it's going to be here for a while. So the, the next thing I guess here is the pass rush. They 
place Charles Amenahu on the inactive list. And I like to imagine the world where this happened because they saw that he liked one of Rivers' tweets talking about you know his low snap count totals. I mean, Amenahu hasn't been good this year, though. And he's an edge defense. They moved him to defensive end like entirely as a pass rusher. And he can't rush the pass from that position. He never has. Did, his like his tape at UT didn't really show that he could in the pro game. It's been like that now, but they found him in a good role as an interior pass rusher where he can use rips and long arms against you know more sluggish guards, and he's had success with that. But again, he's playing defensive end now, and he can't get any pass rush at all. And what which drives me crazy about the pass rush, though, is just who they're giving snaps to. It's it's Jacob Martin, who's terrible. You know, he had one he had one pressure day, finally had a tackle for a loss, but he can't run block at all, and he's just pretty much a meme at this point. It's Whitney Merciless, who's a bloated, bloated corpse, you know, floating around the bog. It's yes. Jordan Jenkins, who was activated today, didn't do anything at all. Demarcus Walker was having to play you know, defensive tackle because Ross Blacklock was hurt, but he's playing over uh, other players as well, too. But I think Jonathan Greenard is their best edge defender, and he played 25% of snaps against Buffalo. He it was on a limited snap count again today. And like, I don't understand why they just don't play him. He's he's the only guy who's made any impact plays on the defensive line this year, and they just refuse to give him snaps. Yeah, and imagine if they had actually played him last year and got some more experience. Yeah, instead of just having him inactive every game. Yeah, it, it, that drives me so crazy. frustrating. And like he had a sack today because they pulled on counter, and rather and like he dipped around the guard and was able to attack the quarterback. He had a tackle for a loss too. Um, like he's making splash plays, but they just don't let him play you know play at all, and it drives me insane. Well, hopefully, you know, he, he made a couple of, like you said, a couple of splash plays today. Hopefully that will get him on the field a little bit more because at some point, even with this seemingly inept staff at times, uh, you know, it just jumps, it just gets to jump off the screen that he's the only guy who's doing anything in there. So hopefully those results will lead to something. But I mean, who can predict with this coaching staff yeah, week to week? Yeah, it's great. And he, like, whenever I watched his college video at Florida, like, I liked him a lot. Um, and he reminded me of, like, a young Whitney Merciless, you know? And instead, mm-hmm. they're, instead they're playing the old, bloated, you know, Gallant Whitney <laughs> Merciless instead. <laughs> so you're saying he's lining up across or on the same side of the field as his future, yes. potentially? <laughs> yes, this is what's going to happen to you one day. But for now, enjoy what you have. So but, we, man, Whitney's a great guy. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. That's nice. I like he. I like you know his aesthetics or whatever. But yeah, yeah. it's not very good though. Um, no. And he's leading the team in sacks right now at th- with three, which is crazy as well. But he's been able to get some chase down sacks and that sort of thing. Yeah, that sack he had against Dawkins in Buffalo was one of the funniest things ever. He just like <laughs> pick, picked up his hand, moved it, and went around the edge, and uh, it was it was pretty funny. So we had, we had a few listener questions. We'll get to. And then we'll call it uh, the first one is from at confused lefty. And he said, do you foresee any big trades before the draft deadline this year? Oh man. Foresee? No. Uh, I assume we're talking only about the Texans. Uh, yeah. Hope, we're talking about the Texans. My, my, my sincere hope was Laramie Tunsil, but you shot that down with uh, your, with your salary cap talk um, and about, you know, how they can't really trade until next year. But I mean, again, if it's a lost season and you have a chance to get them off the books, uh, maybe you just do it anyway and take the hit. I I, I don't know. Um, that that would be my that would be my hope. I I would think you know. And of course, when you talk about a big trade, you know, for me, obviously, we know that the trade deadline has not, should have nothing to do with Deshaun Watson. Like we've mm-hmm. you, you and I have talked from the beginning of this Watson nonsense that there's literally no reason to trade him until you know where the draft picks are going to be. We've been saying that since this whole thing started, and that hasn't changed at all. 
So Watson, I, I don't think is going to be traded before the trade deadline. I think Casario is, is too smart for that. And really, like what team is going to bring in a quarterback and just throw him in when he doesn't know their system at all? I mean, it's it's Watson. So who knows? Maybe somebody would. But I, I just I just don't think that that's going to have any bearing on Watson. So when you talk about trades at this trade deadline, I assume that the question is from the point of view of who we can unload, not who we can trade for. Because if we are making any trades to acquire anyone, then at some point we are going to have to gather up arms and march on energy if that happens. <laughs> well, the last time they did it, uh, it didn't work out very well. The last time they marched over there. The, the support Deshaun the, the support thing. Deshaun, yeah. Yes, that was, that, was, uh, that was a moment in time for sure. <laughs> yeah, what a thing. Uh, well, yeah, I, 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 I think the biggest thing about it too is the the media has this narrative right now that the Texans have a deadline trade to Sean Watson. They don't yeah, have a no. deadline at all whatsoever. They shouldn't Absolutely trade not. him until after the year's over so they know what their draft picks are. There's no deadline looming. There's no black cloud. Just keep doing what you're doing and trade him next offseason whenever teams go through another year of having you know bad quarterback play and you know what draft picks you're getting too. Like personally, yeah. like, I'm all in the Giants. I don't have the Giants to do the trade or whatever, but because they have the Bears pick and their own pick, you know, those picks could be, wor- could be top 10 picks, you know, um, once the whole thing is said and done too. But yeah, like, I mean, I don't really, I don't know. Like, I don't really see the problem with this trade idea. It's like, what do they have to trade? You know what I mean? Right. Like, are they going to trade Brandon a, a Cooks, Menahu? Maybe? Yeah. Brandon Cooks said he doesn't want to be traded, but yeah, are you going to trade Cooks for a third I mean, round pick? Are you going to trade a Menahu? I don't want to, I don't want to pay my mortgage, but I, <laughs> yeah, he can't turn down a, a trade at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, would you do a third for Cooks? Would you do a six for Menahu? Would you do a seventh for Camu Gregor Hill? You know, they can't trade Zach Cunningham because they restructured his contract. Um, there just isn't really a lot of talent here to trade at all, you know? Yeah. And I think that was the, part of the idea with the veteran thing, maybe, was that, well, we can always trade these guys if whenever they pan out, if we're bad at, after six weeks, but nobody's going to trade for these guys. Or they like at factors so they comp pick, you know, formula, but it's like who's rushing out to sign uh, Rex Burkhead on the opening right. day of free agency next year, you know? Only the Texans. Yeah, it's you uh, know Nick Casario's bright electric vest, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I feel like Casario is, is bringing in a lot of the same players that Bill O'Brien would have brought in, but at least Casario is only giving them one-year deals mm-hmm. yeah, one <laughs> instead year of three years yeah, like yeah. Randall Cobb or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Randall Cobb's contract was what Bill O'Brien would have given Danny Amendola this offseason. Yes, exactly. And just uh, that's why when people were getting upset about them signing Amendola, I'm just like, well, I mean, you know, he's a veteran. They maybe could use an extra slot guy. And it's only a one-year deal. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we, we just have so much trauma from uh, from the past here. <laughs> yeah, and this is kind of really just more just therapy now, just thinking about all the all the bad stuff and terrible things over the the last you know six seven years the only good thing about you know this weekend of course was bill o'brien and and alabama losing to texas a&m and i'm mad i didn't get a chance to see it. i may have to go back and watch the highlights on youtube because I, I was at that wedding and so i didn't get a chance to partake in you know the ultimate shot in freud i've been waiting my whole life for you know yeah yeah i missed it also but it's still only going to take one dumb team to hire bill o'brien as an nfl head coach it's going to happen yeah i can't wait well he he won four division championships I know. Um, Doesn't matter, Brian. <laughs> AFC South champions. I they were they were showing that that shot today, uh, all the Texans AFC championship, AFC South championship. I, I saw that, I was like, yeah. this is just 
Yeah, it's so embarrassing. The, the broadcast made me laugh because <laughs> the very first thing out of the gate was small crowd here at NRG. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I love empty. that. Like, it's true though. I mean, like, I'm glad that they actually are putting that out there because, man, when these players play at NRG and they see what it's like there, and then they go to Buffalo and they see that crowd, mm-hmm. and, I, and I know the better the team is, the more fans are going to have. I, I get that, but I mean the. <sighs> Again, I do not root for the Texans to lose, but I will damn sure root for that stadium to be empty because that's the only actual thing that's ever going yeah. to get Cal McNair's attention. Yeah. You and, know? And Tim said that it was 65% Patriots fans today, too. It sure sounded like it on the broadcast. Yeah. Like, even on the broadcast, you could you could hear significant loud cheers for the Patriots. Yeah, every home game is a road game now. But yeah, good. I, I, I mean, that to me, that's a good thing because, you know, Cal obviously is not the sharpest tool in the shed and he's got uh you know easterby in his ear but when you see an empty stadium um that's uh you know that's something that actually hits you in the pocketbook because they're well you know to a point i know that you know nfl franchises have unlimited funds basically but you know when that when that sellout streak ends this year hopefully Mm -hmm. um if it hasn't already i don't don't know um that that should be that should be an eye-opener and hopefully it's not something that easterby will just Spin as this is the adversity we're yeah, going through. Yeah, gosh, we're being persecuted. I Just know. think of how sweet the rewards are going to be when we are on top. Ugh. Yeah, I, the crucifixion really gave Christians a, a hard on for adversity. You know, things don't <laughs> yes. have to be that difficult. Things should be you know enjoyable and and beautiful. They don't have to be so so complicated. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Cal McNair is like you can always turn the computer off. Reminds me of that Tyler the Creator tweet was like cyberbullying just turn the computer off you know and so like he can always ignore you know what people see on the internet he can ignore the media and that sort of thing but whenever you go up to the game and you visually see it and see nobody's there nobody has any football feelings you know that's an entirely different thing and so <laughs> yeah the, and the ones that are there are for the other team yeah exactly did you see that guy painted in silver the patriots fan today i did <laughs> gosh that really upset me <laughs> I was like, am I watching a David Lynch movie instead? Oh, if only. The the, mo- the most Lynchian thing in the NFL, though, is the Titans have a little person as their ball boy, and it just reminds me of that Red Room scene in Twin Peaks every time I see him. Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen the, the, the ball boy. Yeah, he's cool. He's been he's been there for a couple of years doing it, and the first time I, I didn't know what was going on, I was like, oh, that's awesome that, that he's doing that and everything. But he's there every year. Uh, but it's the most, I think it's the most Lynchian thing we have in the NFL though right now. <laughs> Amazing. Aside wow. from the silver blob. Uh, the next question he has is about the draft, but I don't know enough about the draft. And he's asking about, you know, lockdown cornerbacks, how important they are if there isn't a good quarterback at the top of the draft. And I know a lot of people are going to want to talk about the draft and it's be draft, draft, draft. Once they're one and seven by the time Tyrod Taylor's fully healthy. But I, I don't know. I like the I like the NFL, and uh, I'll focus on that until the season's over. You know, there's plenty uh, the of time for the draft later on. Yeah, I don't I don't really watch that much college ball, so I am not the draft analysis guy that I that I used to be. Um, I used to be super into it, but at some point, I can only take so much of uh, you know SEC teams beating other teams sixty three to zero. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I enjoy I, the parody of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of watching college football. Like, I was like, oh, Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss, Arkansas. That sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. Iowa, Penn State. That's something. And I then mean, you watch, and it's four hours long. It's like, how? I can't do this. Now, I'll watch a hot game. You know, I'll watch like a top ranked, top 10 game for sure, especially like a nationally televised like night game, mm-hmm. like LSU against, you know, Alabama or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll check those out. But, you know, the, 
the week to week, I'm just never going to be that guy who's like, oh, there's this, you know, sleeper corner from, you know, Liberty University, blah, blah, blah. That's just that's just not my game. So yeah. but we have plenty of people like that who uh, people who will do that, though, which is, uh, you know, good for you, the listener and mm-hmm. you, the uh, Battle Red blog uh you know, uh, consumer. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that too. I think I'll probably watch Alabama, Georgia, but that may be the only college football game I'll watch this year. Um, the next questions were from at chill cuts deep. He asked for a team rife with career lunch pail veterans. Why, the, why are the Texans so bad at special teams? I mean, they're definitely bad in the return game, but on, on kick coverage, I, I feel like they're pretty good. They're not terrible at, at the, on the, on the, on the coverage end, but I don't know what the deal is, what they're doing with Andre Roberts. He didn't play at all during the preseason. They had Desmond King in there, and he seemed to do pretty well. But as soon as the regular season started, we went to Andre Roberts, and all he's done is a fantastic DeAndre Carter impression. So I don't really <laughs> get that at all. Um, at, uh, and at a very surreal moment last week or week before last when uh, when DeAndre Carter returned to kick for oh, touchdown. I, know. I didn't I didn't <laughs> even watch it. I was like, I'm not, I turned the TV off whenever our red zone was on. I just... On the computer, I closed the tabs. I'm not watching yeah, this. I'm not I, I didn't watch actually see it either. I saw it scroll. Uh, I saw it scroll along the bottom of the screen. D. Carter, one hundred and one yard kickoff return. And I thought to myself, "That's not Deion <laughs> Carter." There's a lot. There's a lot of there's D a lot Carter of D names out there. Yeah. And so I like. So I, I went to the to the Washington football team uh, roster, and sure enough. <laughs> yeah, it's sickening. I I die Andre Carter. I'll never forget that block, that drop kickoff. The camera angle is what, is what really made it. The Blair oh. Witch, you know, found footage camera angle, and then that was the oh, only okay. thing that I, could I was about made. To say which one? But now I understand. Yeah, the, the spider cam, and the only thing that could have made that that fake fake punt today better was if they had the spider cam going on. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the <laughs> numbers here from Football Outsiders, and Houston is currently 26 in uh, D, special teams DVOA. The only thing that they're Plus, at, as far as points added, is the punting unit. The punting unit is plus 3.4. Um, the kickoff unit, like you mentioned, is zero, so it's you know neutral. But yeah, their punt return, their kickoff return, and their field goal stuff has been awful this year, um, which is kind of what happens whenever you have a bad kicker, you know? Yeah, and uh, I mean, we've never really enjoyed a, a good uh, return game in Houston other than the, you know, those jacoby jones years and yeah, uh the jacoby roller coaster yeah and oh the guy the wide receiver who was number 11 who i can't remember the name of but we signed into an extension he's a pretty good andre davis yeah he's a, he's pro a pretty good kickoff year. returners too he was yeah that's about and then uh and then we had we did have the uh if you're going way back we have the jerome mathis days um he was a he was a pretty damn good kickoff returner back in the day but i think he punched his girlfriend or something so he was gone yeah you can't do that uh, no, you should. You really should not do that. <laughs> yeah, just when your when your woman make when you ever get mad at your partner, uh, man or woman doesn't matter. Just don't clench your fist. You know, conflict resolution. Yeah, go for a walk. There's a better way. Else. There's a better way. Yes. Yeah. I I whenever I was a fat teenager, Andre Davis really confused me. I was like, oh, well, there's Andre Johnson. Who's this Andre Davis? And I could never understand it. You know, the yep. the next question is from Chillcut Steve. This is our last one. Is Malik Collins our new clown? He seems like he always gets penalties to extend otherwise dead drives. I mean, he might be he might be our new clowny, but he also is maybe one of the better moves that Casario made over the over the offseason. You know, he hasn't been great, but he's been pretty good as far as like you know compared to the to the rest of the signings. I think. Yeah, so, uh, he's kind of weird because like he's had some like good like pass rush moves, but they just don't do anything at all. Like he has pressures. 
but he doesn't have any quarterback hits. He doesn't have any sacks. He's not very good in the run game. Um, like, so, I mean, yeah, he, I think he's been whatever, but yeah, he's had three 15 yard penalties this year, trying to get that elusive, like quarterback hit or sack. And today he hit Mac Jones up high that led to that one today though. But I don't know. I love Clowney. I don't want to say anything disparaging about him. I wish there was somebody else who we could, who we could say that to, but yeah, they're similar that way where they've had some penalties, but Clowney was offsides, you know, and Larry Tunsil was the, the false starter that whole year. Let, let me ask you a question as someone again, who, who watches some, some, uh, some tape from time to time. What do you think of uh, Roy Lopez? Um, well, you know, Chris, it's not time to time. It's, it's every week we're watching the Texans tape and I'm, I'm going to try to do it all year long. Like, I usually watch mm-hmm. it every week, but sometimes like, you know, maybe something happens or the game's so bad where that was meant to be sarcasm. I know you consume more film than anybody else. I know I'm being, I'm being sarcastic about that <laughs> okay. as well too. I know what you mean by it, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm watching it again this year and it's a lot of it's just like, yeah, I'm seeing the same thing again. They can't block outside zone, but Roy Lopez has been like he last weekend's Buffalo is his first good game. He wasn't good. The, the weeks before it just moved a lot in, in the run game playing like real high. I think the best thing about him though is his hands. And you kind of saw that pass rush today uh, mm-hmm. on Mac Jones that helped lead to that interception was that he was able to, you know, remove the offensive guards hands and be able to create inside path. And he's been good at that. Like his hand usage has been good, which is something that you don't really see a lot from young players. You know, they, they, they're so big and strong and fast and dominate physically that you don't see like you know, as much refined technique and like hand usage is something that these guys learn a little bit later on. And so he's shown that already, you know, so like, he's fine. Like he's, I, I don't think he's been very good this year necessarily, but for a six round pick, you know, he's been um, yeah. better, better than expected at that draft position. And yeah, he's, he, he was, he was okay last week in Buffalo and I'll see if he was okay this week against the Patriots in you know, I guess 24 hours. Yeah, for for a six round pick who's who's still a rookie, it's not like he's a third year player who's a six round pick. Mm-hmm. For a six round pick who's a rookie, I think he's been pretty solid. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with draft picks. He's a six, and he's looking he's he's solid. And that's why you know the draft I think should be looked at not so much about you know you need as high picks as possible as you need as many at bats yeah. as possible. Mm-hmm. Because it's you know even even the best drafters in the league you know aren't hitting most of their picks because you get a lot of low picks, but the more swings you take, the more chances you have to find a guy who's solid and cheap for a while. And yeah, that's exactly. why I have a problem with, you know, just like treating a fifth round pick as if it's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, a six and a seven. Sure. But a fifth, I feel like is one of the, is, is, is not a premium pick obviously, but I, I do feel like they have, they have uh, value if you're going to use them correctly and, and try to bring in a lot of guys at high volume. Yeah, I agree with that too. And it's like, it's like with that with that spot, it's just how many you know, spins of the wheel do you get, you know? And it's right. like maximizing all your lottery tickets and and collecting as many picks as possible. Like obviously, there's some cases where you know a guy you just love falls to you, you make a move on it or whatever, and things happen. Like Malik McDowell gets an ATV accident, and now you don't have your first round pick. You can't control some of it, also. But yeah, it's about getting picks at the wheel and then developing your talent. And the Texans have done an awful job at, at those two aspects of the draft, let alone, you know, the picking players part. Yeah, and my, my hope is that, you know, a guy like James Campen, I feel like, you know, could be the type of guy who could survive a regime change whenever Coley moves on. So I would love it because he's, you know, he's had some proven success in the league. So I, I would love for them to, you know, spend some of those mid-late round picks on some on some new offensive linemen and let, let Campen, you know, start to build 
a relationship, a working relationship with him, you know, from the ground up and actually have somebody decent in a couple of years because mm-hmm. these these Devlin holdovers are not working out for us at all. I, I don't want to belabor it, but, you know, I think of all the stuff that we talked about before uh, in this in this episode, the thing that's most important to their to their, you know, immediate and long term future is the fact that the offensive line is just broken and they yeah. put so they put so many resources into it. So at some point you got to cut bait. It's not going to be in the middle of a season, but at the end of this season, going into next season, I'm going to be very interested to see what they have, you know, unless they just show amazing improvement, which I just, you know, I think we both tend to doubt that's going to happen, but we, you know, you never know. Yeah. Until it happens, I don't think it's going to happen with the offensive line, but yeah, and they can get better. You know, it's like, it's, it can't get any worse than this. And, uh, and like, they could get better. Like there's the talent there from idea, but the only thing they've been, you know, particularly like competent at, is winning their one versus one pass rush matchups. You know, a lot of the pressure comes from you know, like stunts or blitzes or you know that sort of thing instead. Um, and I guess the last thing I want to say here is you know the pass rush today wasn't you know, very good at all. They had four quarterback hits and they had zero sacks, but mm-hmm. they were going against a Patriots offensive line that was missing four starters. You know, Andrews yep. was the only starter that was here at all. And playing you know, starting at center, and even after that, even after all of that, uh, you know, backup and rotation, you know, on their offensive line, they still didn't create any pass rush at all. And against a rookie quarterback, again against a rookie quarterback who has problems against uh, interior pressure and throws a lot of bad passes if you're able to get pressure on them, and they can't blitz because they can't play man coverage, you know. And so like over like once you start talking about it, it just all unravels and it's all connected in one big stupid circle, and uh, and that's another example of it too. Yep, I mean. Uh, that is very well put, and it, I just, I just don't. I, I wish I could see light on the horizon for the offensive line, but because uh, I think we all thought there's no way the team could be worse on the offensive line than it was last year, and I don't know if it's worse, but it's definitely not. It's, it's just definitely as bad. not. Well, it, yeah, and, and if it is any better, it's not. It's not a significant enough jump that it matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, yeah, it's just as bad, and if it isn't, it's maybe like just slightly better too. But yeah, I like, and also it was fun watching Yadni Kajusti today. I liked him, you know, watching all these tackles, you know, three years ago and that Max Sharping draft and he was hurt for a few years. And so he was starting there at right tackle and he played well against a Texans, a Texans defensive line that can't get any pass rush. So I'm happy for Yadni Kajusti. I don't know how you say his last name. It's C-A-J-U-S-T-E. I say Kajusti, but I'm sure it's something else. It's just fun I, to say Kajusti. Yeah, I would I would take my chances with uh, the E on the end being silent, but I have no idea. Kajust? Kajust. Yeah, Kajust. He's from he went to West Virginia, so I don't know. I like him though. We'll we'll see if he ends up sticking there at all. Their tackle plays been bad though. They've been starting like Yasir Durant and Dur- and Heron and uh and Wynn has been a very good run blocker at all. And so they've had and then Trent Brown got hurt in one quarter. He has that same calf issue too. And so they've been bad at tackle and Houston still can't rush the passer, so I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add? I do. If we are truly going to continue this ruse of being Patriot South, but <laughs> saying that we're not Patriot South, <laughs> then they should just, I mean, I know I just spoke well of James Campen, but they should just throw all the money in the world at Dante Skarnicki. And sure. Office. I think he retired, but I don't know. Yeah, he retired. So I don't, I don't think, I don't know how it works in the NFL. Like if he, if he quit before his contract was up, if it's like the same thing where they still own the rights, I have no idea if it works that way with coaches. Yeah, but he, I know he retired, he retired and then he came back because they that was the year they got crushed by Denver, uh, that game where they like you know Von Miller and uh, Demarcus Ware had like seven sacks and twenty quarterback hits, and because the center kept bobbing his head and they were able to time the snap every time, and they came out of retirement to come back, 
And I th- yeah, he's 73 now. But yeah, give him $100 million to fix this offensive line at the age well, yes. of 74 years old. Yes, blank check. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe he and Easter be your buddies, you know? Who I don't knows? know. Send, send Jack up there on a plane. Like, crazy stuff happens when you put Cal and Jack on a plane to Boston. So why don't we just do that in the offseason and see if we can draw that guy out of retirement and make him the highest paid coach uh, in the history of highest paid coaches because, you know, it's Cal's money and I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the guy from uh, Green Bay, too. Green Bay's been awesome at developing offensive linemen. And they and the entire NFL is just filled with ex-Green Bay offensive linemen who got second contracts somewhere else, you know? And they, mm-hmm. they, they always knock out of the park at the offensive line position. Yep, that's that's pretty much all I got. This game was uh, it was an emotional thrill ride. If I were were to be watching the Texans with any emotion, but I'm not <laughs> right now. Yeah, we kind of joked about that recently, or not joked, but we talked about like emotion tied to the Texans. I caught a little bit of the Holy Spirit in that Chiefs game. I haven't had it since. It's just more <laughs> like they're like I like watching them. I like the Texans, I guess, but yeah. it's more like uh, there's things that interest me, you know, and. I don't know. And then the last time I got really upset was that 41 to 7 Monday Night Football loss in 2012. Like, I was so excited for the game. I was like, we're gonna, finally going to beat you know, New England. I couldn't wait for it all week. And I ended up uh, getting mad and throwing my notebook at the dog. I was so upset. That, <laughs> was that the letter jacket game? Yeah, that was the Dante Stallworth uh, 75 yard <laughs> touchdown pass. And I threw my notebook at the wall. And my, my brother and my best friend were there. And living watching me, and I was like, I was embarrassed. I was like, I can't act like that anymore. And I haven't yeah. done that since. So, but that was the last time I got really upset over something this football team did. I can't even remember the last time I had an angry reaction to something that happened on the field. When I get angry, it's when they trade Clowney for nothing. It's when they trade DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. That's when I got really yeah. pissed. Like, I was angry at that. On the on the field on the on field stuff, I just just way too much scarring. <laughs> it's just it's just too much. So I, I've I've developed a technique for watching the Texans, which just basically involves me sitting there, Clockwork Orange style. With but but I have <laughs> but I have my but my eyes are open on my own volition. They're just kind of like half opened, and they never they never squint and they never get wide. And I it's just you know I have my breathing technique. You know I get my heart rate down low. And I just, no matter what happens in the game, by the end of it, I feel like I've gone on sort of like a spiritual journey, but I was also like watching a football game in the background. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I just watched <laughs> them live and I just watched the condensed games I won after that. And uh, and it's the only thing I can do for three hours or whatever. But for me, it's more just like, oh, that was kind of cool. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. Well, I, I got in trouble or not in trouble, but I got reprimanded for laughing too loud when that pun happened. I woke up the baby. And my wife was like, hey, you can't do that. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I, I yeah, cackled. I mean, the baby needs to know what kind of house this is going to be. Yeah, poor baby. <laughs> oh, I think the last time I think the last time I got really upset at something that happened on the field was the Wattcat. Oh, yeah. The Wattcat Watt was just was, as dumb as the punt today. Yeah, the Wattcat, I think, is the thing that really – that I remember, like, getting – like physically angry about and then ever since then it's just been you know i just pretend that i'm like uh, microdosing while i'm watching (laughs) god that whole game too that brian hoyer game yes (laughs) like you knew that was gonna happen like you 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 remember like on twitter i kept seeing people asking 
you know, which was ridiculous to me, is the was the Buffalo forty to zero loss like the worst and most embarrassing in Texans history. I'm like, are you kidding me? This team with no expectations? No. Nothing embarrassing about that. That went, you know, just a little bit worse than I expected it to go. But the Kansas City game, now granted Brian Hoyer was your quarterback, but getting smoked thirty to zip at home in a playoff game when they take the opening kickoff, you know, for a touchdown and the game is basically over at that point, that that was embarrassing. Gosh. I I kinda go back and watch that game. I haven't seen it in so long. I bet it's <laughs> I mean, I I don't I think you need to start pulling out of that self-torture you know you you have a baby now so uh, yeah it's true well i i think next year though i thought about writing it this year i didn't have enough time but i think i'm gonna go back and watch every name redacted game oh against version and write a <laughs> uh, a revisionist history on on that whole thing i mean you should go out and just sit in the sun and do that I, I'm, a, your skin yeah, makes. I'm a i can sell sign do it Wi-Fi goes outside the house. It's crazy. How I don't know how it works, but it does. Well, that's the end of our show, of our of our way too long show today. But you know, special occasions like the Texans blowing a twenty two nine lead because of a fake fake punt calls for you know, yes. certain celebrations like this, and and this is what we get. At. And there was a lot of MK Ultra talk too, which is important. Um, yes. I was watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood today, and so you know, that, still hate it. I no, I well, it wasn't that I hated it. I just didn't. I thought it was me something else, you know, and then I watched and I was just kind of like, just, it didn't, I don't know. I just felt like it was whatever. I thought you'd seen it already. Yeah. I saw it whenever it came out in yeah, yeah, yeah. Salt Lake City by myself before I had a flight back home from going to Yellowstone and uh, I watched it. And I just, I don't know. I just didn't really get it at all. I thought like the whole point of the movie was that, well, you want to see the Sharon Tate murder. Like that's what you want to see. And I know yes. you want to see it <laughs> and you're sick and you've been twisted by the television and everything else by how much you've seen violence your entire life, and you you don't want to see it, but I know you want to see it, and you're like right. expecting her like her baby to get cut out of her, and just something like completely gruesome. And he flipped it around, and I thought that was the biggest thing I got out of it. But I was saying more about it, and I was like, it's really just like a dude's rock movie, you know? It's just like a buddy movie of, of Cliff and and whatever the other guy's name that Leonardo plays, and it's just like a movie of just two guys hanging out. And like having fun in like their middle age as the the world they knew before is completely turned around. And so I'm enjoying a lot more today too. I also listened to that Chaos audiobook about the Manson murders, and it's that book's outrageous and it's worth checking out. It's a really good audiobook too. Um, so it's it's been fun though, and the movie's beautiful too, like the but sets you, and everything. You can't you can't start movie talking and just end the show. So you got to give me a second on this. So once upon a time in Hollywood, I think I think legitimately what happened there was. Tarantino said, you know what? You know what? I want to make a movie, guys. Okay. I want to make a movie where I, I set it in old Hollywood in the 60s. Okay. Like, no one's ever done that. And, and we get the budget for it. Okay. And all these old cars, it's going to be awesome. So he came up with the idea of a setting and then he just came up with a story that took place in it. Like, mm. I guarantee you that's what I he got did. you. But, but I liked it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hate it at all. I actually kind of liked it. But did, did you ever see Inglorious Bastards? Yeah. I saw that. And I think that movie, like, I like the idea of that movie more than, like what came out with it. My favorite scene though is the the drinking scene with uh, where, yes. where they find out like who they are or whatever. Three that, fingers. I love that. Yeah. So my point in bringing that up was not to say hey you should see that movie. It was if you've seen that movie then you should not have expected the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to go the way that you thought it was going to yeah, go. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's my fault mind of it. But yeah, I think I think that's a good way to put it. And like I also hate every one of those movies that's like 
oh, let's think back on old Hollywood and how beautiful it was and uh, and that sort of thing. Like the Coen brothers made that one movie, Hail Caesar, hated it. Absolutely terrible. And it's just like... Ta- like Possibly glor- the worst Coen movie. God, it's awful. It's just like glorifying old Hollywood. Like I hate that, that sort of movie type. And this movie is kind of like that, but it's more kind of like the like the end of like a certain age in the like the birth of the new one, like during the golden age, I guess the movies in the 70s or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, like how like all that kind of pokey stuff has gone away, but it's the only one of those type of movies that I've liked at all, you know. And uh, and I also I just hate watching movies nowadays that are everything's a green screen, like nothing's real, yeah. everything's everything's fake. It doesn't look good. It looks like crap. And so I always just am a lot more appreciative now whenever we have movies that come out that are original and actually have like real life people in like real life environments, you know. If you haven't seen The Revenant, you should because oh, yeah, that I director, I love that movie. He he refused, he refused green screen and he refused to use anything but natural light. So he had that crew out there using natural light constantly. And you know, if you read about the production, it was brutal. But I thought he made a, an amazing movie. And and yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of old school on the fact that I get when when I I still will see big budget like Hollywood. Like I'll see, I'll see the Marvel movies. I'll see all the special effects things, but I always need a palate cleanser afterwards. Like mm-hmm. I need to find something indie and just gritty and raw with just some, you know, some like, like the end of taxi driver when all the bloodshed happens mm-hmm. and they, they desaturate the film and it just looks, it looks horrible, but amazing at the same time. Like I need that palate cleanser. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't watch the Marvel movies anymore. I don't think I'm ever going to watch another one again. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen, I'm not going to say if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Because I, I do like them. I think they have a value. I have a segment of my brain that enjoys them, but it's not really filmmaking to me, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, I think it's a, a movie. It, I think a lot of it for me, too, is just like the culture of it as well, where it's like these movies are made for babies, you know? Like people getting like upset or, or you know, revering or like being very excited for these movies. It's like it's for a baby, you know? It's for kids. It's And it's kind of turned into like, I guess, just like, the extended childhood now, I think for people where people are just kids their entire lives, you know? And, uh, and so I guess it's kind of more like the culture around that irks me probably more so than the movies itself. Yeah. I, I'm a little, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm kind of relieved. Well, I'm relieved that sort of like all this, and you know, I love star Wars. I was a star Wars kid. I'm relieved that those movies have like, they, they, I th- they feel like they've sort of run their course you know, the, uh, the Marvel movies, you know, the, the cast that everyone seems to love, like they're done with that cast. And I know they're going to continue to take swings because there's too much money to be made, but man, I'm just dying. I'm just dying for movies to get back to making just original stuff. That's not based on anything, you know, like based on a novel fine, but I just, I, I really wish that again, this is like a whole different podcast, but I wish like these big, big movie studios would allocate every year a percentage of their budget to just make like not necessarily like something with an independent feel, something Mm -hmm. that's just like practical effects, you know, not a lot of green screen or minimum green screen, you know, where they actually spend the time that it takes to get a good script and a good story instead of like, you know, your focus should be on your directors and your writers and not so much your cast. So anyway, rant over. (laughs) I like that. I think like, I guess really the only time I ever see a movie that's kind of original now it's either A24, that like new age thing or whatever. Yes, or I love A24. Or new line or something like that. That's the only one. Every time I see like a movie now, it's original. It's either from you know one of those two places. But yeah, it's annoying, you know. And I also like the idea of watching things more than actually watching it a lot of the time too. Like scrolling through, I think it's, I could do that. Maybe that's sometimes more of the benefit, I guess. 
um, than actually sitting there watching something. But I usually, for me, like I'll like movies and I'll watch a terrible one. It's like, I hate this. I'm never watching a movie again. And then eventually <laughs> yes. something comes along, I kind of get hooked back into it. I got you. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to do a, a movie podcasting. I guess that's better for the off season, but yeah. it's just it's just too much fun when we do it. So we got to we got to set aside some time. Yeah, I need to I've been wanting to watch the the new Sopranos movie and I kind of want to reach out. Uh, we had Sean on the podcast earlier this summer. I was like, "We'll have to talk the Sopranos movie where it's out. I just haven't a chance to watch it, but once I do, I may reach out to him and see if if we can do a Sopranos podcast and talk about it. I bet it's going to be awful. I bet I absolutely hate it. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I actually started it a couple of days ago, but something came up and I had to stop. So, probably soon. But yeah, if uh, if you got room for a third on that yeah, one, I would love will. to take part because uh, sure. I'd love to talk to some some Sopranos with anyone. So that's always that's always fun. Yeah, it's the perfect show. It has everything, you know. Eh. <laughs> I really liked it. I felt like the last few seasons weren't great though. So. Um, I'm not going to sit there and, and and argue with Sean about it because I know it's I know it's his his life's love, but uh, I, I thought the last couple of seasons were not so great. But I did love the ending. I actually did love the ending. Uh, me too. I love it. I, it the ending's Thank bad. You, someone, the ending's finally. bad if you're a child who has no right. ability to critical think think critically yes. at all. You need you to know? have something spoon fed to you. It's terrible. Yeah. But oh, I gotta I, see I, everybody. I, I, I gotta see blood everywhere to know what's going on. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah, it's crazy, but. Yeah, it is a separate thing, and we'll have, we'll do it. And after I watch, I'll text you. And if he's not able to, you know, we'll do it at least, um, and we'll we'll set up some time for it. Because I'm I'm excited to see it, I guess, in a way. But I know I'm probably not going to like it and be upset about it, you know. Yeah, uh, I wasn't loving what I saw in the first five minutes. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it could get better. And I also, Maybe. I think too, like with the like the social environment that we have today where it's like you can't you know there's a lot of things that people said in films and TV that you don't you can't say it all anymore just because mm-hmm. of the social climate we're in and like the sopranos wouldn't be able to do what they did I think nowadays you know and so I think that's kind of part of it too like it it won't be able to be as I don't know off color whatever however you want to describe it now that they were able to be in 2001 you know yeah, I get that. that. That's 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 true. I think to a point, and I, I you know, with all art, with all art forms, you got to have some. You've got to you've got to push the envelope sometimes. And I feel mm-hmm. like we're like we're cycling back around to a point where soon, studios, both TV and movies, are going to have to you know production companies are going to have to start pushing the envelope a little bit more and, yeah. and kind of bust themselves out of this little cycle that we're in. I I agree too, and it's like nothing's funny anymore. You know, like there's not anything. No, there's no funny movies. There's nothing funny. Like the only time I ever hear anything that's funny is like usually on a podcast or something, because they've kind of like neutered a lot of things that you know you can say and not say. And like yeah, there's like there's good to it, I think to a certain extent, but they have not found a balance at all of of how to be able to you know use the medium and do it like in a in a good way with kind of like the like I guess the cultural rules of what you know is permissible and not permissible anymore. Yeah, and that that stuff definitely gets way too much in the blood of of entertainment, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, obviously there's going to, there's going to be some stuff that's uncomfortable and I think uncomfortable is totally fine. Now stuff that's out, out and out wrong and, you know, racist and all that sort of thing. That's, that's different, you know? Um, but there's nothing wrong with making people uncomfortable. I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing, honestly. Yeah, I think so too. And it's like, like uh... it, it, I, I, you know, cause I think the combination of that and like the whole social media thing where people, just will talk to people, you know, online. And I, and I think probably all of us have experienced this 
in the last several years where, you know, political divisions or ideological divisions, whatever, like you get along so much more when you actually Mm -hmm. talk to someone. Exactly. And so the combination of it being removed, like these controversies being just removed from the content that we consume on top of the fact that the only time we get to have those, those discussions is on social media when people are just at each other's throats. It just makes things terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so. agree. And also, none of it's real on social media. Like social, it's all fake. Right. It's all fabrication. It's a simulation on there. And so it's like you're <laughs> it's upset about yeah, you're upset about not real things and not real environment. And then you know things I guess are worse because of it. You know, undoubtedly worse. The only thing I'm excited, well, probably the thing I'm most excited for, aside from you know, spending more time with my family and going for walks more and being able to read books again, you know, for six months doing, a year. Doing two-hour podcasts with me. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It is uh, <laughs> The thing I think I'm most excited for is to never go on social media ever again. Like, there's no, like, the only reason why I have it at all is just because of the football stuff, you know? Right, but yeah. It, and it's fun to talk, you know, fun to, to hang out with people on the internet talking football stuff. But once that, once I'm done doing that, I'll never, I'll never have it again. I, I totally understand that. You know, I, I, Mm, I, I just, I can't like, that's kind of the reason why, like when we were all talking about our fandom and where it was when the Deshaun stuff happened before the allegations came out and we were just like, wow, the Texans screwed this up by getting rid of, you know, the guy that they've been looking for all this time. I was just like, I can never leave the Texans because I've just made too many friends mm-hmm. through the Texans. Like it's, 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 it's necessary, you know? So, uh, but, but I, you know, the, the other aspects of social media, like I've long since, you know, when I was younger, I used to, have, you know, have flame wars like everyone else that's around my age back on message boards and that sort of thing. And I just mm-hmm. don't do any of that anymore because it's like you said, it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think the biggest thing for me, too, is social media to be able to enjoy it is I read uh, the book of Genesis and the Cain Abel story. And I kind of knew exactly what uh, what came was, you know, like that came part of my brain. And it's like you scroll through something. And it makes you mad or like you see like attention going to something that's stupid and it makes uh-huh. you mad. I'm like, that's just the cane part of my brain. And once I like realized that, that like, you know, why I was, why it made me feel like that and what it's used for, you know, um, as a tool or whatever, what you get utility out of from it, it made the whole thing a lot more enjoyable, you know? <laughs> I get that. Like I, I've, I've never been more intrigued to, to read a, a part of the Bible than I am after you telling me that. <laughs> oh, the Old Testament's great. I, I've read, you know, some of it gets kind of like hard whenever they're talking about the laws or whatever or the genealogy. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, I mean, if you look at I read at Revelation it, for fun, you know. I haven't, read, I haven't read anything in the New Testament. I read the book of John this year, and it's pretty. I like how simple the language is also. But yeah, it's like these stories have been around forever, and, and human behavior is still the same as it's always been, you know. And, mm-hmm. and the male layers, too, to, um, to the stories are really good, too. Yeah, I, I uh, I've just never been a well. Anyway, you know, want to get us in trouble on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, well, it was fun. And yeah, man. Maybe always. maybe I'll t- when we, uh, our our tangents are always like I, I don't know. It may not be amazing to the three people that are left listening right now, but I always really enjoy our tangents too, as well as the football stuff. It's always a party. Yeah, it's always it's always a lot of fun. I always know whenever you come on to not we're not having a third person because it's going to be a very long one and it's going to be stretched <laughs> out even further. Um, but yeah, yep. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon and we'll, maybe we can do this again next week or we'll figure it out. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. 
Thank you for spending two hours with me talking about the fake, fake punt in a classic Houston Texans <laughs> game. And uh, until next time, uh, I don't know. I forgot what I was saying. I always say the same outro. I forgot it. But until next time, thank you for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt.